Today is Monday, August 21st, 2023, and you're listening to the Ask a Christian podcast. I'm your host, Nate. Let's start off with a Canada geography lesson, and we talk to our friend and resident atheist who will hopefully someday be a believer in Jesus about their recent vacation and how that went. And then we go on to a point. I had a, I had a thought. I don't know if it qualifies as an epiphany, but we had a thought. I had a thought about possibly the point of slavery in the Bible and, you know, why certain laws allow it but don't forbid it. Um, and then we have laws that forbid murder, but people still do it anyway. So, um, anyway, some, some thoughts about that. Then, <laughs> apparently we have a uh, Ask an Alcoholic segment. And then Ephesians 5 and marriage. Then we get into healing in churches. Is healing for today? What is cessationism? Who is that? Is that right? Is it misunderstood? And then we have, um, you know, testimonies from people who, um, you know, say they have received healing and been a part of healings that happened firsthand accounts right in front of them. So anyways, that's where the day goes. So enjoy this discussion and check out the Ask a Christian book on Amazon and check out the Ask a Christian store, grab a coffee mug or something and support this podcast sharing the gospel with people on the internet. Take care and have an awesome day. Bye. Welcome back, sir. Sure. Uh, I was hoping you'd be here today. Greetings and salutations. I'm back from paradise. All right. So how was the, uh, hello, Thomas. How was your vacation? Uh, it was just, uh, I'm, I'm gooey with delight. It was just, uh, it was spectacular. It was our first time in, uh, first time in Punta Cana. Uh, we've been to the uh, Dominican Republic before, uh, but it was the first time to Punta Cana. Uh, and it was just, uh, delightful. I'm, yeah, I would have a hard time coming up with uh, descriptive uh, adjectives. It was just everything. It was everything. Awesome. How long until you get to do it again? Um, yeah, my, Shannon's already booking our next trip, probably February. <laughs> February? Yeah, we, we, we like to go away. Like, we do kind of like other stuff, too. But like, we go away, like, south twice a year. Um, and uh, And then other little things, you know, kind of like... Um, like it's her birthday this week so this weekend we're doing another getaway but it's just going to be more more local well local but yeah just in ontario so but yeah hey how far north in canada do people live like where do i mean i'm sure there's like you know the the crazy people that live like extremely far but how far is like civilization and like utilities run north in canada because I know there's a lot um, of places like around the big lakes and stuff, like the lake houses and stuff like that, which is pretty far up. Uh, I mean, a lot, like uh, um, pretty far. The furthest north I've ever been is a little is a town called Marathon, um, and Marathon still had you know kind of everything. Like they don't have you know gigabit internet service like I have here, but um, you know they still have you know they still have reasonably uh, you know usable uh, internet speeds and stuff like that so uh, that's the furthest north i've been and marathon is around if i started driving right now it would take me about seven hours to drive to marathon wow okay i'm looking at a little map here okay so it's kind of like in the middle of the country oh no never mind oh wow okay yeah, way north Ontario. Oh wait, that's not even north. That's not even equal with uh, Winnipeg. Okay, so okay, you're you're basically America. Okay. Well, so, yeah, it's, it's funny. Yeah, we we I've yeah I've, I've talked to people about this before. <clears throat> people don't understand 
how gigantic Canada is. Um, like, so the southernmost point of Canada is a place called Point Pelee, Ontario, which is kind of just a little bit south of Windsor, Ontario, uh, across the river from Detroit. And if you draw a line straight across, we're basically Northern California. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, or like Southern Oregon. Okay. So yeah. I mean, even I've been to Winnipeg. So, um, nobody goes to Winnipeg. It's terrible. <laughs> well, that's where, that's where people that live in the Bible belt, when they want to go to Canada, that's where they go just straight up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like it's, it's kind of funny. I was in, I was in Minneapolis, St. Paul, um, a bunch of years ago for business and uh was chatting with people there and they you know where are you from i was just you know just outside toronto oh man what's it like up there and so i said oh friend and i took him over to a map they had on the wall and i drew a line across and i think minneapolis st paul was close to 100 miles north of where, of toronto um i'm like, I'm like I, you know it, it, it's it's uh, it's funny sometimes and while i have met many many americans that are quite knowledgeable when it comes to uh, a lot of stuff outside of their area. One of the things that's surprising to me is how centralized a lot of Americans' knowledge is, kind of like just of their area. Uh, it's, it's surprising sometimes, and I'm, and I'm not a genius in anything. But uh, Hey, I know Ottawa's the capital of your country. That's good. What's the capital of Ontario? Hold on. <laughs> Because because the capital know. of Ontario and the capital of Canada are in the same province, right? So <clears throat> yeah, so Ottawa is Ontario, capital of Canada, and Toronto uh, is the capital of Ontario. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, at least it's like a lot of like people it, don't even know, like like so like um like what's the capital of, of New York? Uh, Buffalo. No, it's Albany. Uh, oh, wait, wait. Uh, I was going to say that. Yeah. And and so, like, it, it's 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 funny. Um, anyway, yeah, we don't need to turn this into a geographic lesson. I, I, I said New York specifically because I saw Steph come up. Hey, Steph, how are you? I mean, it is crazy. Like, I'm looking, and, I mean, there's towns, like, named all the way up. But, I mean, there's, like, more water than there is ground. So, I don't know if that's, like, a, a northern swamp. What do you call a swamp that's, like, in the north, but it's really not a swamp. It's just lots of water. I don't know. But so like whenever you get to like the Northwest Territories, like Canada just ends and that's just like international area. Oh no no no! Um, so uh, Yukon, Northwest Territories, and, and none of it. So we have, um, you know, so we have ten provinces and three. None territories. of it sounds like Nineveh. Just saying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so we so we have we have ten provinces and three territories. The Northwest Territories was somewhat recently like, uh, uh, going to be a bad Canadian here. Somewhere around twenty-ish years ago was split into the Northwest Territories and now uh, none, uh, none of it. So, um, yeah, like there are there. I don't know why they call them territories and not provinces. I think it has to go back to like way, way back. And, you know, the, the forming of our of our country. So I, I don't know that. But yeah, like I, I like history and geography and stuff like that. Like it's I don't know. It's cool. Anyways. OK, that's enough of that nonsense. Um, <laughs> welcome back, Michael. We're glad to have you. We, uh, we had, you know, Rab, Rab kind of filled in your shoes a little bit, but no one can fully replace you. You are your own unique person. Ooh, hey, I have a question for Michael. Oh, here we go. This is a good one. Okay. What is the shelf life of real maple syrup? That's, uh, that's a really good question. I don't have a clue. Although, hang on, I'm going to go downstairs in my pantry because I have some stuff. We bought a, uh, bought a case. We were in, 
a little town just north of Quebec City a bunch of years ago. And I have here some cans of it. And I, I got to dig it out here. Just give me a second. Cans? You mean like like Chef Boyardee cans kind of thing? Yep. Oh. Oh, did I use the last one? That's a terrible shame. I'm going to have to go back to... Oh, man, you're going to have to go to your reserve now. Exactly, well, yeah, which is not Aunt Jemima. But um, it, it's, I, I, I know that it lasts a long time because we were in... So I bought, a, I bought uh, 12 cans, kind of um, like about this... Actually, about the size of a Chef Boyardee. Or no, like... Um, oh, they were like 540 milliliters. So hey, what's that in America? What's that in America speak? Um, no, no. About, uh, about three cups. It's about two-thirds of a Jack Daniels bottle. Don't ask questions. Um, you yeah. don't want answers to. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Wow, that's, uh, um, that's pretty on the nose there, Nate. So anyway, we bought that, oh, I don't know, eight years ago. So, and, you know, we use it, you know, kind of whenever, you know, well, I mean, I drink it every morning because, you know, that's what Canadians do is they just have a couple of maple syrup. You got to chop off your bloodstream. It, well, exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I try to, that's a you know, funny, well, tangent, uh, tangent stream. That's one of the things that's really funny. So I have a friend who's uh, who's diabetic, and I learned that the numbers for 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 they used to measure diabetes are totally different in the U.S. Like you guys use like a I think like normal is like in the, like a hundred or something like that. I'm not 100 percent sure, but kind of a norm like a normal operating blood sugar level for Canada um, is between four and six, which I think in America you'd be dead uh, if they use your numbers. But sure. Anyway, just kind of joking around that. So I guess the most direct answer to your question is at least eight years. If, so it's, in a, if it's in a here's my Here's my problem, right? My problem is that I've got this like glass jar of maple syrup. Now, admittedly, it is it, – it, now, in the United States, you have to put labels on things that are true, right? You can't say – like true maple syrup or whatever, you know, USDA grade A or, or whatever without it actually being true. So this is, but this is a Walmart brand of actual supposedly maple syrup. And this is the second bottle that we've had that has turned when it's halfway down. And we use maple syrup fairly often. Do you keep it so, refrigerated? No, we keep it in the cabinet. Should maple oh, okay. syrup be refrigerated? Well, my understanding is with a lot of things, like once you open something, you should, you should refrigerate it. So like, like, for example, we have lots of stuff that you keep in, like in the cupboard. But once you open a thing, that's usually when – because if you read the labels, a lot of times it will say refrigerate after being opened. Um, that, I, no, that, that's not true of everything. Like you don't have to keep peanut butter in the fridge. That would be yeah. weird. But like I, I know with some stuff, like once you open it, you should refrigerate it. And maybe that's the case with maple syrup. I, was I, have just to, looking... I have to call our prime minister and ask that question because he needs to know this. Well, if he's not too busy with, uh, you know, other stuff going on, <laughs> but I would say maybe it's turned into rosin. Like that was my question is like, you know, is rosin made from tree sap? Turns out it is. So maybe you're, uh, you know, next time you have uh, maple syrup or whatever, I think they use pine for rosin. But next time you have maple syrup that gets hard, just try to, you know, string a violin with it. And I was going to say, Chris, the best proof, uh, you know, the best evidence you would have for me being a Calvinist is being able to answer alcoholic trivia. Um, this is true. Yeah. If you know some beer stuff, man. You know, the other thing about Calvinism is not only do we have cookies, we have craft beer. Calvinism as to IPA as Catholicism is to holy wine. I was going to say drunk Irishman, but that's just my experience. 
What's up, Zach? Good morning. Good morning. I was I was looking for you guys in the hallway. I was like, where are they? This is like my favorite like morning Christian talk area place. Oh, we'll change that. <laughs> but Did anyone um, hear the sad news about the Dogecoin dog died? What? That's terrible. Yeah, the dog that's been the source of so many amazing memes. Uh, yeah, he's he's immortalized. Apparently, he was like, was he thirteen or eleven? I don't know. He died of cancer. So sad day. I just I just hope atheists don't get a hold of that um, and then run with it. Uh, but I, I was I just I just hopped up to say uh, maple syrup does not belong in the fridge. Um, it, it it definitely belongs in your cabinet. That's all. And if it was full of, like, high fructose corn syrup, I could definitely see you wouldn't need to put that in the fridge because, I mean, that would be probably part of the, you know, preservative junk stuff that would that would make sure it never, you know, it would keep it, like, shelf-ready. But I don't know. I mean, ever, right or wrong, every time I have, you know, maple syrup because I, I don't buy the, you know, I try to buy the real maple syrup, the true maple syrup. Uh, and, yeah, that goes in the fridge. But, so, I mean, its consistency is enough that it still, like, comes out easy and it doesn't get, like, solidified or whatever. Yeah, what, Chris? Yeah, like, well, I don't know. I just, so, like, it fouled. So, like, I put some in my wife's yogurt this morning because she doesn't want, so get this, she doesn't want to use honey because the sugar content is too high, so she wants to use maple syrup. I, I'm i not going to argue with her. That's like, funny. <laughs> right? That's funny, right? Like, I'm just like, all right, lady, I'm not going to, I'm going to pick my battles, and, you know, I would rather win the kitchen countertop battle than the honey versus maple syrup battle. So... Kind of like the battles I pick in here. You know so what anyway, I learned? <clears throat> what's that? Well, a couple things. Then we'll shift this thing to something holy. Or this is going to, I don't know. We'll see. You tell me. Wait, um, my husband is listening in and he just said, wait, these guys are winning battles? Well, oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so to, to Chad, if he's still listening, sir, you have no chance. <laughs> just surrender now and everything will go a lot easier for you. That's it's right. kind of like being... It's kind of like being in the prison camp, you know, like just, just surrender now and things will go much easier for you. And yeah, listen so to Chris, I... he's been married for like 65 years. <clears throat> 65 years. Yeah. 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 Life sentence. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. And I'm still married because I pick my battles. But yeah, I rarely win any. Smart man. To be honest. Thus, I have learned there is no substitute. If you want something that tastes good, it's going to be unhealthy. That's just the way it is. I tried making sweet tea last week, and, you know, for the longest time, I did unsweetened tea just for the health benefits and antioxidants, blah, blah, blah. Then I quit it forever and just went to water, and then I went back to tea, and I'm like, oh, it tastes awful. How did I ever do this? So I'm like, all right, let's make sweet tea. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, it's got a ton of sugar to make it sweet, so let's see if there's good alternatives. And everyone always has, like, they're, they're like, oh, you should try this alternative. It's healthy and tastes great. Um, all lies, all lies. Just yeah. you know, Here's change my mind. Stevia. It's all lies. So Here's some stevia, Nate. <laughs> yeah, all lies. Pit of pit of hell. Okay. So it wasn't even that bad. It just said, you know, honey is a great alternative. And I thought, oh, I've had honey tea before, like honey and ginseng or whatever. That, that could be good. And then it's it was telling me, and I was telling all my my health ridiculous health conscious people I know. Um, they're like, oh, yeah, and honey's so, so much sweeter than sugar that you only need, like, half or even a quarter as much. I'm like, hmm, I don't know about that. So anyways, I followed the recipe, which also said the same thing, and even ChatGPT let me down. It said the same thing. It's like, honey is so much sweeter than sugar that you don't even need as much of it. So, you know, it's like, would normally recommend, like, two cups of sugar, uh, and I'm like, gosh, that's a lot. It's like, so you only need, like, three-fourths cup of honey. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to take a chance. I'll do a full cup of honey. It was barely, like barely even noticeable there was honey in there. 
So I added a little bit more, used an entire bottle of like $18 raw, unfiltered, like amazing honey, just dumped it all in the tea. And I ended up having to add like a cup and a half of sugar anyways, just to make it taste like moderately sweet. I'm like, okay, I have learned a lesson. And that is, there is no substitute. If you want something that tastes good, admit you're being bad, accept it, just pollute your system with tons of sugar. If you want to be healthy, then don't even bother with some kind of, oh, it's almost as good. It's all nice. Just be prepared. It's going to taste like junk but it's going to be good for you. So that's what I've learned. It's all or nothing. Either be bad and enjoy it, you know, live happy, die young, or be miserable, extend your life because you're never getting sugar because that's uh, that's what's better for you. Chris, <laughs> yeah, do you have something to say about this and I got a topic for you? Oh, uh, no, I was just going to say, like, did you do the honey in the tea when it was hot? There's yes, something I did. called super saturation. Okay, I'm just checking. I'm just making sure. Because, you know, some people, like, try to put sugar into cold tea. And I'm like, yeah, that's not going to do any good. Yeah, that's a great well, that's question. What, so, you know, Nate, when you make southern sweet tea, you you put it boiling. You, like, you boil the tea, and that's when you add whatever you're sweetening with. Mm-hmm. Bro, I am southern sweet tea. I, I you're, this, this, is like in, you're this is in my veins. As Michael is maple syrup, I am sweet tea. But Michael is barely Canadian, and you are barely Southern. Aren't you from, like, not the South? Well, South enough. Mm. Anyways, the point is, yes, I know this and I did this. But, I I mean, unfortunately, since it was cool by the time uh, the honey didn't work, I did have to add the sugar cold. I I just had no choice. But, uh, you know, to get my vengeance on, I don't know, healthy stuff, I I remade it after I, you know, pounded that two-gallon vat of tea. Um, so I, I remade it and yeah, did the proper sugar when it was boiling, forsook the honey completely. And it was amazing, but I guarantee like one cup was like a thousand calories anyway. So, I mean, I know how to do it. Um, it's just, you know, I was, I was trying to be all health conscious and, you know, not going to make that mistake again. Okay, Chris. So my, my idea and Steph, I floated that too. That's never came up like when people, so I guess Michael, I'm looking for you for the defeater and you can speak, well, God can make it perfect, right? Because he's God. So, I mean, I guess, I guess that's your defeater. But whenever we talk about slavery in the Bible, it's always like, why did God allow this? Why did God command this? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I'll see you guys later. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Wow. Morning all of a sudden. (laughs) Oh oh my gosh. I have a meeting, Nate. I got to go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, me too. Me and Steph are actually going to the same meeting. Yeah. yeah, We got, we got like a real estate IT thing going on today. It's a dark one calling you home. Can't, can't hang out for the tough conversations, which this is not going to be because it's one point. It's just one point. Okay, is it crazy? I, I sent it to both of you. Is that a crazy take? No, it's not go like ahead, God go ever ahead. said, it's you know, go ahead, go ahead, give your take. I'm it's not like you. God ever says slavery is amazing. You know, go, go make tons of slaves because that makes my heart glad and filled with joy. Like, these are things that are allowed. These are things that God's like, well, I'm not going to stop you. So could it be? From other examples in the Bible, we see, like, when Jesus talks about divorce and says, look, Moses allowed divorce because of the hardness of your heart. And then we see other things like, you know, the king of Israel. Like, it was never, you you read, is like Samuel or whoever it is, like, you read that it was never God's intent to have Israel with a king because God himself was going to be the ruler and watch over them. But they didn't want that. So they complained, they grumbled, they bellyached. So finally, God's like, okay, fine, here you go. Here's a king. And he gave them King Saul. But we know, you know, that, that that wasn't God's, maybe you'd say, perfect ideal, but not to the level he was going to divinely say, no, this is how it's going to be. 
he let them, you know, get what they wanted and he gave them salt. So when it comes to like some of these laws that people may find distasteful, like, you know, it's most of us would never need a law that says thou shalt not murder. We know not to murder. Even the people that have the laws that said thou shalt not murder, they didn't need a law to tell them that. They know murder is wrong. But for the benefit of maybe those rare people that are like, oh, murder's great. It's like, oh, oh, I can't murder. Oh, I shall not murder. Okay, great. Um, so just like we see now, like with, with Christians who don't follow the law of Moses, because, you know, Jesus fulfilled it and everything. So we're not bound by this. We don't. And they say, oh, well, you don't follow the law. Then why don't you murder? Because we don't want to murder. Like Michael says, we murder as many people as we want, which is zero, because we know it's inherently wrong. That's why it's written on our hearts. Anyways, so when it comes to the slavery issue, it's like just because there's parameters that's like, hey, you're supposed to come to the obvious choice being led by the Spirit of God that you don't want anything to do with slavery. You don't want to own people. You don't want to do this. You don't want to uh, you know, do any, any of these things. But if you want to, God's not going to like strike you down if you do. Um, so if your heart is hard and you, know, you need some guidelines, well, here you go. Um, anyway, that was my that was my thought, and that's never never been talked about as far as I know. So it's like, what if these things? Because it's just like uh, you know when people bring up like, Lot and his rapey daughters. Like the Bible never says it's good. It just says, well, this is what happened. So it's like, um, anyway, that was where I was going with this. So Chris, what do you think about the idea that you know the, some of these laws, especially around slavery, or whatever? Um, since it's never said that it's an amazing thing, go do it. It makes people's hearts filled with joy and stuff like that. Uh, but it never outright forbids it. Is that because maybe the hardness of people's hearts and they're supposed to come to their own conclusions? Like, well, yeah, just like, you know, Paul says, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. So, you know, like Progressing Pilgrim once said, which I agreed, I mean, it kind of kind of catches people off guard. It's like, well, look, I'm a Christian, so if I want to murder, I can go murder. I Like in my Christianity, I can go murder. However, I don't because I legitimately don't want to, but I could. So it's like, well, look, under my religion, I could totally own slaves. Um but I don't because I don't want to. I know that's wrong. So I don't need a law to forbid it. I need the Spirit of God to convict me so I don't want it. Anyway, what are your thoughts on that, Chris? Or do you need to set yeah, some slaves Chris, free before yeah. you answer that? Yeah, okay. So Steph's going to go right after me. Um, yeah, so because um, she has dogs and children, so she has some slavery things to answer for. Um <laughs> <laughs> so at any rate, um, I, look, I think that God was regulating the existing practice of Near East, ancient Near East slavery. Um, you know, I think that the main objection that people have, especially our atheist friends, are that slavery is, premise one, slavery is immoral. Premise two, God does not prohibit slavery. Conclusion, God is evil because he does not prevent um, a known immoral action. Would that be would that be about the would would that be about what what we get from people? Yeah, and uh, Chris, that's exactly what I replied to Nate in the back channel. You're, you're going to run into that, and then you're very quickly going to run into like a problem of evil question. Well, that's well, that's I mean, that's a, the that's what I expected from Michael to say, but from you know a non-God is evil standpoint, what do you think about that fellow Christians? Like, I mean, that seems like not a terrible thought, like regardless if it gets pushback or regardless if they say, well, you know, premise one, premise two. Uh, I'm just thinking like, have you ever heard that explored? Or like, what do you think in conjunction from a Christian standpoint 
that could that be like the reason divorce was there, right? Like some people say, well, divorce yeah. is bad because it ruins the family and it does this and blah, blah, blah. But nonetheless, God allowed it. How evil? How could God allow it? Well, Moses allowed it because of hardness of heart. So, you know, God permitted slavery because of the hardness of people's heart. So not not like looking yeah. to want to debate with that, but looking for a plausible reason for it. Sure. And, and yeah, that would be correct. So the correct analog would be that this is this is something going on already. Divorce is going on already. How do you regulate an existing human action um, as opposed to, you know, a, an at the time? Not not that it's impossible, but a highly improbable standard for people to live up to. Um, you know, given the time and culture and, and all of the other, you know, pressures that, that cultures were under um, in those times and in those places. So, you know, do I think, that, do I agree with you that I think that God is not promoting slavery? Yes. Do I think that God is, is regulating an existing thing that happens? Sure. I mean, I don't, you know, same thing. And again, same with divorce to, to your point, right? God's, ideal is that divorce never happens you know god is going to through moses and the law allow for divorce in a in a uh adulterous situation but you know other than that you know again the standard is no divorce you know so the standard is we you know like well with the year of jubilee one of the things that almost never gets mentioned in slavery in the bible and 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 i think dr bowen mentions this to be fair but um you know, and I haven't finished his book on slavery yet. It's very long, but, um, but I did start reading it. So, um, people don't talk about the year of Jubilee where all slaves are freed every 50 years, all slaves are freed. Um, you know, this is a thing in the old Testament law, um, <clears throat> to prevent generational slavery, essentially. Yeah. And I mean, oh, how I did their economy terrible... <clears throat> recover from that? That's interesting. No, I don't know. Well, I, I don't <clears throat> Oh my gosh! You know, tomorrow I have an appointment. I'm I'm going to hopefully figure out finally why I've been like gurgling and like coughing and dying for the last six months. So, you know, good things. Anyway, until then, you're just going to have to suffer through through this more. I try to hit the mute button, but it doesn't always work. Um, okay, so I also think that you know the King Song is Saul is not a bad way to go. Like you know, I think that's that kind of plays into this. Like you know, God always planned on being their king. Sure, he could have been like, no, I'm not giving you a king. I'm your king. If I could or die, but he didn't do that. So maybe that's like, okay, you want to touch a hot stove? You shouldn't do it. I, I'm here to guard you from touching it. Fine. Touch the hot stove. Touch it. Touch it. Um, anyway, but um, yeah, well, you know, also God's not off the hook for murder, right? Because even though there's a law that says thou shalt not murder, clearly people still murdered. The only thing that God did was say, you shall, shall not do it. And there are penalties for it. So they could use that same argument. So why don't we just go there? Like if they say, well, you know, God doesn't prevent slavery and, you know, so so he allows it. So he's evil. Well, no, you can also say God doesn't prevent murders like God forbids it in the commandments. But people still murder and people still get punished. But, you know, you may as well attack, attack God for not like, you know, sending fiery angels down to prevent a murderer before they murder. So, you know, if you're not going to let God off the hook for, you know, not outlawing slavery, you also should not let God off the hook. Uh, from the atheist perspective, for anything, because if there's a law about it, people still break laws. So the fact that God's not divinely enforcing all these laws, preventing the illegal actions from taking place, then you should still think God's bad, I guess, because reasons. What do you think about that, Michael? It is interesting. Um, so well, the, the first thing is, um, while I'm not an expert on this, 
um, our dear friend, doc, uh, Dr. Josh Bowen is, and uh, how timely, right? Because uh, anybody can go to uh, Amazon and pick up uh, the second edition of his book, Did the Old Testament Endorse Slavery? Available now. Um, and I think it's only like 10 bucks for you guys. Oh, the other thing is that, and not that I'm trying to shill for, uh, for Josh, but uh, Josh has made it clear as he's, he's been on our little bitty podcast like eight times now. He has said many times, and I know he wouldn't feel bad about me sharing it here. If there's some, because he said it on the podcast, if there's somebody out there who genuinely cannot afford to buy uh, the book, you send him an email and uh, he'll, he'll email a PDF uh, at no cost to, to someone. So he's, he's not in this uh, solely for the money. This is one of the, his streams of revenue, but he's not in it for the money if he's prepared to give it away for free. Um, so, okay. It's funny. I think I I think I take a, a little bit different approach, right? So, um, with the with the syllogism that Chris offered a few minutes ago, um, I take a slightly different slant on that because I okay. Allow me to just kind of like flush this out. I it is my contention that the God of the Bible, as represented in the Bible, uh, that character is not okay. Is, is, is pretty bad. But I don't, you know, I don't, I don't hate the God of the Bible. And I've said this before any more than I hate Lord Voldemort. Right. I view them. I, yeah, I view them in the same light. I believe them both to be imaginary. So like people said, you know, uh, it's like that, that, um, that horrendous piece of film that was put out, uh, God's not dead. Where, you know, where uh, Kevin Sorba, you know, when confronted, he's like, you know, why do you hate guys? Because he killed my mother. It's so ridiculous. Um, the, uh, uh, <laughs> it's just so silly. I, I don't I don't hate God. Any any of them. I don't, you know, Allah, Vishnu, Yahweh, any of them. I don't think any, I, I'm convinced they're not real. So it, it, it is interesting. But, I mean, it's it's funny because if you read, and because since I know Chris likes context, um. Don't don't do just the you know oh you know uh, Leviticus you know chapter twenty one verse X right or you know or or, or any of the verses from Deuteronomy or uh, the other ones that that talk about um, the the institution of slavery in the Bible. Read the entire like for example read the entirety of Exodus twenty one right and I think that you know I think Chris would agree that that gives you some decent context. The very beginning of the Exodus 21 says these are the laws I think it's these are the laws that you shall put down for them. And then it goes through all then it you know t- uh, talks about them the Exodus 20 talks about the 10 commandments even though there's more than 10 there. Um and and so on and so on and so on right. So don't just read a, a snippet of it. Right? Read the entirety of it. And reading the entirety of Exodus 21 it's really, really clear that the people that wrote the Bible were really, were really in favor of not just, uh, not just uh, indentured servitude, but were really in favor of chattel slavery. It's just super clear. Just, you know, and we've talked about this before, right? Like, Nate, I can't tell you how many times I've heard you say, just read it. If you just read the entirety of Exodus 21... It lays it out super duper simple. Super simple. Well, and, well I, I say, as far as, you know, how much of the people's opinions are you getting versus, you know, God saying, you know, you can do this and you can do this and you can do this. 
Um, so I don't know, maybe some people are like, does that sound right? Or other people are like, yes, that's awesome, but it didn't go far enough. Like, we want to, you know, like, beat these people to death because, that, you know, yay slavery. Um, so, I mean, you know, I don't know how much we could say of the people. Uh, this is kind of like, you know, God might some God, but I'll also say, not to be lost on, uh, you know, Dr. Josh's um, Slavery in the Bible book, um, Peace People on it. You can also check out the Ask a Christian book available on Amazon. And also, if you can't afford it, I'm happy to uh, send someone a PDF of it. Anyway, <clears throat> what's up, Ola? How are you? I'm confused. I, I don't, or Mother I don't, Steph. I don't understand how Exodus 21 is making an argument in, in the, like, for chattel slavery. Oh, oh no, no, I'm, I'm not saying, I, I didn't say that it makes an argument for it, but it clearly, so if, uh, okay, so if it is fair to say, or maybe it has to be a question, do you believe that the Bible is the inspired word of the creator of all things? Yes. Okay, so then if, if that is the case, then Exodus 21 lays out lays out a lays out a set of practices in which slavery can be done and not just because i think it's it's the first bit of it talks about hebrew servants and then it goes on to talk about like all kinds of like almost like conditional kind of law like what happens if somebody gets injured uh who you have to pay for stuff and things like that and so on and so forth but then it talks about how like if like if you want to it tells you not to rule over your fellow israelites with vigor it says if you want to have slaves you can take slaves you can make slaves of the people of the areas around you and the people that kind of like and the the people that are are in the area that aren't israelites and it talks about how you can make them your property if it talks about how if you are if you are a, a slave and the <clears throat> if you come with a wife, then at the end of the time, then you leave with your wife. But if the, the slave master gives you a wife and, and you bear children, when it's time to go, you leave. But the wife and the children stay. And the Bible says because they are there because they are the slave master's property. And then it lays out a, a, a condition for which the, the slave can say, I love my master, I love my wife and my kids. So they take him to the townspeople, they bore his ear with an awl, and then it says that he becomes the slave master's property. It is, there's no ambiguity in it whatsoever. Okay, um, right. So my first question for you, I, okay, so we could go into addressing what each of these things are, right? Like we're looking at, oh, it's so horrible that they're boring his ear with an awl, but we're neglecting that this is a regulation that allows a person who's being treated well to stay in this position for whatever economical or emotional reason they may feel that that's, but we're, okay, well, all of that aside, Michael, you don't like guns, right? What if you were put on a local advisory board in your town to write regulations for gun ownership for other people in your town who do own guns? Now your name is on this document that states, if you have a gun, it must be in a locked safe. The ammunition must be somewhere other than where the gun is. And you have these rules that you have now assisted in writing down and someone points at you in the board meeting and says look michael loves guns so much like no you're trying to regulate this thing that's already occurring and who knows we could nobody could ever say from that document whether you loved or hated guns all we can say from that document is that you have written regulations about guns do you see what i'm saying so 
I, I think that there could be like, I don't know. I wasn't in that culture and I'm not an expert on it like other people are, but you can't derive from this document the motivation of the writer because all we have here is a list of regulations. Hey, Steph, we have that meeting. Let's, let's go to that meeting. <laughs> well, yeah, we can, we can actually get away from this topic. Michael, if you want to get a final word on it, like I, I just wanted to bring up that one point because that's something we don't usually hear. And good point yeah. about the gun yeah. stuff. I like that. But I would just say quickly, like, you know, we, want, we usually look at tenure as a good thing. I mean, the people getting it because it's like, yeah, I get a job for life. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I mean, you know, why do we have a problem if like, you know, this guy loves his master so much that people are like, he's going to be a slave for life. Dude just got tenure. He wants it. Anyway, just just I would say that. Uh, Mike, yeah. you want to give us a final thought on this? That's a whole we'll different can of worms. Away. But, Steph, I, I agree with so much of, of what you said. The problem, and, and I think why the analogy fails, is that there are lots of times where, like, okay, so if, if the Bible is the inspired word of God, right, then so it, uh, is, it, is it fair to say that Exodus was, is also inspired? Yeah, of course. Okay, right. So th the, reason, the reason why that particular analogy, I think, doesn't hold up is because there are lots of other times in the Bible where God has no problem speaking directly to other people, right? And so if, if this was a, a situation where things went horribly wrong, right? Like, and, and God's like, man, that is not what I had in mind. He could have very easily said, because he did in so many other places, okay, this isn't okay, guys, right? And, and what I actually mean is, like, they're, they're, it would have been so simple to offer correction, right? Even if all that was being done was regulating a practice, right? Because there was no problem in saying, no, like, this is, this is what I want, right? So when, when God got angry with Moses, right, uh, and the reason why he wouldn't allow him to cross over uh, into, uh, like, into the, the, the new uh, paradise on earth, is, you know, like, he had no problem saying, hey, hey man, you, you messed up, and that's why you're not going to you know, come to the rest of the party, right? He's got no problem in other areas. So that's why the analogy doesn't, doesn't work. Does that make well, sense? Except, well, under this, except under this, ah, sorry, I, I really want to get off this, but under, under this, under the, I know, I know, under, under this new point though, like if it's, you know, if you take this hardness of heart approach, it's not about behavior modification, it's about heart transformation. So it defeats the purpose. If you're like, hey, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. It is as you say, Michael, but if God's goal is heart transformation, so the people are like, I've been transformed by the power of God. I don't want to do this stuff. I don't want to do this stuff. So it's, you're, you're like focusing on it one direction. And, you know, per this new hardness of heart thing, it's about transformation. So, like, it's like if you just put rules in place, like, you can't do this, you can't do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. The people's hearts still suck. But if the goal is these people's hearts to, you know, be more malleable and, and more, more, like, soft-hearted, well, then, yeah. Like, I think they need to, you know, submit to God and come to these conclusions on their own. Anyway. And yeah, often, sorry, Steph. Well, yeah, but the problem with that is, is that, is that, is that the Bible also says, and I forget the verse now, but that that you know, God says that he he draws you know, like he draws close to the people that he wants to, and he doesn't draw close to the people he doesn't want to. So when you're talking about it being a hard issue, it seems that like God's the one in the driver's seat at the end of the day anyway, right? He's going to decide, and and Chris would stand beside me in this. Like it, it doesn't matter what we think; it's what God wants, right? I am not going to have an indwelling of the Holy Spirit unless God wants it to happen. Well, like Moses, or like Joshua says, you know, choose this day who you'll serve. So if these people 
choose whether they're choosing because they think they're choosing. It doesn't matter. Like the fact is, it's all interpretation. But the point is, if you don't want to suck, you cannot suck. Um, anyway, um, but Michael, I guarantee if we we're in like tribal times and, you know, you're like waging war against me and my house, and there's no legitimate government and stuff like that. It's like the Wild West frontier law, um, you know, and you and your band of people are, uh, you know, breaking into my house. We're like, we're going to kill you. Burn your house down. Kill your family. Ah, I'm like, oh, OK, well, well no, I'm just going to like, you know, beat you and, you know, those who survive, um, you know, because it's like battles to the death and frontier justice. I, I would like to think I'd be benevolent and capture and, you know, I'd be like, all right. Do you want to die? I'm like, no, we don't want to die. We don't want to die. I'm like, fine. You will be my gardeners. And every week you will be out gardening and toiling my land in hard labor. Um, and then it's like, okay, you've done this for like six months. Do you want to be released? Yeah, I want to be released. What are you going to do? Kill you and your family. Oh, okay. I'm not going to release you. Six months later. Okay. I want to release you. You want to go? Uh, yes, we want to be freed. What are you going to do? Kill you and your family. I'm like, all right, you're my gardener for life. Get used to it. I think a lot of people would say, well, that's not ideal, but I mean, if, if they're just going to like kill you and your family, if they get a chance and you know, the only alternative is killing them. I mean, I guess that's how it is. They kind of put themselves in that, you know, there's the shoes they stepped into them. Yeah. I, and I think, I think for ease of moving past the subject, we'll just move past the subject if that's what you wanted to do. Cause it, like <laughs> this could quite literally, this could quite literally just keep going and going and going and going. Yes, I, I would like to. Yeah, this will never end. I didn't. That was not my intent. Ola, please say something other than uh, this conversation, I'm even sorry. though you probably want to. I'm sorry. I just have to ask one tiny question, and <clears throat> um, uh, I'll be happy to move on. Um, but I just want to clarify. Um, do you believe that um, slavery is as equal as, as as any other sin that can condemn someone's soul to um to eternal damnation, for example, murder, uh, lying, stealing, and all those other things. Do you think someone who owns a slave is like that, or you just feel it's uh, just like um, a, a minor sin, or not even a sin at all? The only thing that's going to send someone to eternal damnation is rejection of following Jesus Christ. So committing the, the I'll say, uh, murder and stuff like that, and living in that in that state, is that is that not gonna condemn your soul well the bible says jesus himself you know the holy spirit's going to live with you and guide you into truth and righteousness so that's that's like a test of someone's faith so if they say they believe in jesus and follow jesus yet they live in murder and all these sins you mentioned then that is evidence that they do not have the faith they say they do because if they truly had that faith they would not be living that way okay um okay that's 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 a good approach but the reason why i'm asking so does that mean that you uh, and anyone who believes that you don't you don't commit sin because yeah if you commit sin then yeah the well, no one's going to be no one's going to be immune from sin like everyone's going to to deal with sins until the day they die but there's a difference in like unrepentant willful sin where you're just like yeah the bible sure it says this is wrong i don't care i'm going to do it anyways that's test like that's testimony against you that you do not have the faith you you say you do. However, you know, the Bible talks about we all struggle with our own temptations and our own desires and stuff like that. So, you know, if we don't make a habit, we don't, the Bible says everyone who makes a practice of sin, you know, the truth is not in them. And uh, so if you don't make a practice of it, like I don't, I don't make a practice of lying. Like I'm not a habitual liar. I don't just go around telling lies for the heck of it, ignoring God. So I try very hard not to tell lies, but <clears throat> I will occasionally, you know, say something that is a lie. And I'm like, ah, I shouldn't have done that. Why did I do that? I'm like, ah, 
you know, forgive me, Lord, help me. You know, sorry about that. Does this, um, does this dress thing, so. make me look fat, Nate? Yeah, like that. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, so yeah, everyone's going to deal with sin and occasionally slip up. But when we do, the Bible says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus. So he will be our advocate. So no, we the Christian heart does not want to sin. It has a bent away from sin, yet we still battle with the flesh. So when we occasionally do sin, we, we learn from it. We try not to repeat it, and we move on versus someone that's like, oh, no, I'm fine with this. The Bible says it's wrong. I'm going to keep doing it anyways. I don't care. That would that would be evidence that maybe you don't believe as much as you say you believe. Okay, so that means I could say uh, the same for someone who occasionally like murders someone, occasionally, like once in two years or stuff like that. In and theory, he, yes. yes. In practicality, you're not going to – yeah. In theory, yes. In practicality, you're not going to find a whole lot of you know Christians around you who have a problem with, you know, oops, I occasionally murdered someone. Except for um, so the man in theory, after God's own heart, David, who committed yeah. adultery and murdered somebody, he was still redeemed. He did that yeah, very he, thing. Yeah, he re- was redeemed because of, uh, if you read Psalm 51, you would see how crushed he was. I don't think after Psalm 51, he did any murder, anything like that. Yeah, but but how, do you, thing- how do you know when Psalm 51 occurred in the life of David? Are you uh, omniscient? No, it's not not necessarily in the life of David. From what we see, we see when he committed the crimes that he did. That was obviously in the Bible, and we saw that he actually repented at a certain yeah, time. Yeah, he repented. So I don't he think didn't repent at the same time. It went on for a long time, and then the Nathan prophet, the, the prophet Nathan, confronted him, yes. and then he repented. You know, like this idea that that David was unredeemed when he murdered Uriah is just a bunch of sinless perfection nonsense. Look, everyone sins every single day. Everyone on the planet. There is not a single person, especially me. I am the worst. But every single person sins every single day. I mean, if you want to have a sin contest, I don't know. I'm pretty (laughs) sure I'm way up there. But what I'm trying to say is, though, is like, Look, every one of us falls short of God's holy and perfect standard every single day. And there's nothing, like, we are getting better if we are Christians. Like, if we are living in the Spirit and we're doing the things that we're supposed to do, then our instances of sin will continue to go downward. But even a 97-year-old, you know, preacher, you know, or, or, like, take John MacArthur, for instance, the man you know, lives a great life and he has no skeletons in his closet, but he would be the first to tell you that he is the worst sinner that he knows. Okay. Yeah. But, but but my question still stands in terms of uh, slavery. If someone has a slave like today, because to be honest, there is modern, uh, modern slavery in, uh, in Libya and some places in the world, Uh, someone who has a slave today, do you think that person is living in the uh, spirit of God? Um, that, that's two different questions. One, would it be wrong? Um, so first of all, discount anything in the Old Testament because we're not Israelites. This was never our law for a bunch of Gentiles. Sure. So sure. so in, in the New Testament, you know, Paul does say, look, if you're the master of someone and you own slaves, you know, treat them amazingly because you have a master. And he also says, hey, if you are the slave of someone, um, you know, work very hard and do a good job for them because, you know, you all you have a master. So work is like you're working for God. So. Um, he again, Paul would you you would think would have a chance to say no Christian shall have slaves ever, uh, but he didn't say that. He says if you're a slave, uh, be I take that at just like you you would be super amazing so much that it may be slavery as a technicality, 
but there's no, you know, it's a great symbiotic relationship. Go with me. So, yes, technically you have ownership of someone that's evil, that's bad, that's crazy, right? But in reality, it's a great employee-employer relationship. The employee suffers no penalties because the employee is doing a good job as if he's working unto the Lord. So he does an amazing job, and the employer-slash-slave owner um, has an amazing employee-slash-slave and treats them lavishly with good gifts. So even though, I, I mean, you know, I don't want to be owned by someone, but considering the alternatives of the time, if my alternatives were go it alone, you know, like be thrown in jail, be a street criminal, be like all these other stuff, or submit to ownership of someone and nothing bad ever happened, and I just had to do a decent job, like as I was working into God, you know, the technicality may rub me the wrong way, but the practical way I live my life is not too bad. Um, which is why some people, even thousands of years before the time we're talking about now with Rome and Paul, would would say, you know what? I, I know you say I can go free, but I would like you to shove it all through my ear and let me have this life. And I, you know, I'll be your slave forever because this is the best life I can carve out for myself. Um, anyway, just just shout out from a couple thousand years ago. Anyway, but no. I, and then also like today's slavery, like whenever we think of modern slavery, we think of human trafficking and like sex traffic and all that, which the Bible explicitly forbids so much of the stuff that you would see happening in modern slavery, like fornication, for example. So like sex slavery, that's wrong. That's like super wrong. And like all these other types of slavery, like there are things in the Bible. So if you're saying like, well, the Bible doesn't specifically outlaw slavery. Great. It outlaws or it speaks against like every single thing like modern slavery does. Um, anyway. Josh is okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I see what you mean, but I, I still I still fundamentally think that owning another human being is not is not but just by owning another human being i don't think it is a, a moral thing yeah but i don't either and you know that's why most of the planet doesn't own human beings yeah but don't you now think morality uh that morality that we are we are applying is coming from somewhere other than just the social morality but more of like god's morality through the holy spirit in our hearts yeah, I think it's because we're all created in the image of God, which is why even atheists who deny a God exists or lack of belief in a God or gods still believe that a lot of these biblical principles are wrong because they're still created in the image of God, whether or not they believe it or know it or like it. Um, so we, we all seem to agree on a lot of morality stuff. Not all of it, but a lot of it. Okay, then if you go back to the part of the Bible where it talks about sin and says all wrongdoing is sin all wrongdoing so that means owning a human being since it's amoral is sin right okay yeah sure so uh, we need a concrete example so no one in this room i think is going to be pro-slavery so if you find someone who says they call in the name of christ to save them and forgive them and give them eternal life and they are fine owning people um let's talk about that person but i don't even know what part of the world i would start looking in to find a God-fearing, Bible-believing Christian that owns slaves. So if you find one, let us know. But talking about kind of in the abstract, like, well, under this situation, could it be or could it not be? For me, it's wrong. For everyone in this room, it's wrong. Um, no one's going to have peace about that. No one's going to have anything to say about pro-slavery. Um, so I guess that would be where I'd leave this conversation. If you manage to find a Christian who has slaves, let's talk about them. Do, cool. do you have anyone I'm in mind? Happy, I, I, I'm actually happy with the, the end you gave there. It's clearly stating that it's something that 
should not be desired and it's something that no one in this room in the right minds would want and and i think that's that's morality backed by the spirit of god uh, yeah uh hey roberto what's up hey good morning not sure if you can hear me because i'm driving yes. i good. know sometimes that oh thank you um i have two quick questions well kind of quick questions um uh, they're both uh centered around the same story um the noah and the flood story um, my first question is, uh, and it's, and, and just to preface it, it's, it's speculative, meaning that like, I'm just going based on like things that I'm reading it and it, the evidence doesn't necessarily, it's not there, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. Um, you know how Genesis five go, goes through the generation of Adam and then, and it talks about them and their children, and everything. And um, each patriarch, it seems like they were having kids at about between 70 and 200 years, right? But then you get to the bottom of chapter five and you see Noah and it says that he has um, his kids at 500 years. Um, is it Would it be too speculative to think that um, Noah had kids before um, that, that um, statement in Genesis 5? That's the first question. I, I don't know that it would be too speculative, but it still would be speculative. So, I mean, I mean, there's no way to answer that. I mean, <laughs> no, because I was, you know, how, you know, Nate, when, uh, normally we, we think about the story of Noah and we we're, we're like he saved his whole family, his wife and his kids and his uh, his son's wives. But um, I was. Uh, uh, Elder, I know, was bringing this up, and I just thought it was pretty interesting that um, it doesn't mention that he had sons or daughters before uh, the 500 years, but all the patriarchs before him were doing it, and it just so happened that he had it at 500 years. So I just thought that that was interesting, which lends to a possibility that maybe he had some kids that died during the flood, and just them, Ham, and Japheth were saved um, through the, the flood. So uh, I was just curious about your thoughts about that. And then the, my second question is also speculative. Um, uh, is there any other reason for for um, the Jewish community or uh, to um, have circumcisions outside of uh, the law that, that, that uh, God gave in the Old Testament? And the reason that I'm asking that question is because I noticed also in the in the book of I mean in Genesis when it talks about Noah, uh, you remember he, he's preaching and they're they're making fun of him because you know it never rained before so how is the flood gonna come or whatever, and then after that he goes into the ark with the animals and they're there for like seven days right before it even rains, so on the eighth day, um. That's when the, the the flood comes, right? And so, when when the flood comes on the eighth day, um, all flesh is cut off on the earth. So, uh, I'm not sure if that's too speculative to, to, to think that that's a pr another possibility for why Jewish people uh, are circumcised. But I just wanted to have your thoughts on that. Uh, well, about the kid thing, um, I mean, you know, there, I mean, there's sure. Like there's not a lot of fault to find with what you're saying because I mean you know who knows you you can come up with different hypotheses but what's true we we probably will never know but as far as his kids um, you know maybe he could have had kids before and maybe it wasn't the flood that killed them maybe he had kids before and they were amazing kids uh, amazing followers of God 
but they got hit in the head with a rock and died or got eaten by a bear or died way before the flood ever happened. So, I mean, there's that. Um, and then the other thing you said, as far as would it only be like religious reasons Jews keep to circumcision, I, I think is what you said. Uh, yes. I don't, I, I mean, you could say in 2023, there are probably like some, some Jews who are, are not, you know, Jewish by heritage or by, by race or whatever that are not practicing observant Jews to the religion, but they still probably keep to circumcision just because of like, I don't know, hygiene reasons or custom, or that's just their culture. So even though they don't believe the religious covenant implications of it, they're just like, well, you know, my whole family has, and you know, that's just the way, that's just the way we always are. That's the way of our culture. So we'll do it. So, I mean, there's, there's plenty of just throwaway reasons that people, it's just like, like Gentile people, right? Like why do they do circumcision? It's not for religious reasons. So, I mean, there's all kinds of other other reasons. Um, yeah, so I, I think, yeah, there would be plenty of non-religious reasons uh, the Jewish people and everyone else keeps to circumcision. Well, you know, and I think does. the nature of his question was that the, the fact of, you know, on the eighth day, all flesh was cut off. Is that an analog? Uh, for I missed circumcision? that part. Is well, that well, your question? Yeah, that, that's what my question was, Chris. So, so oh, basically, yeah, no. yeah, so, I mean... You might be able to find some, you know, symbolic meaning there, you know, but basically we get circumcision from Abram. So, you know, God lays out his covenant in Genesis 15, and um, this is where circumcision comes from. Yeah, that. Thank you. Appreciate it. What's up, Sean? How are you? Hey, good morning, Nate, and everyone, how everyone, how everyone in the room. Uh, it's been a great day. It's been a great weekend, I, I really have to say. Uh, went to a family friend's service on yesterday. So, But when, I, when it comes to this message on slavery, when you look at... Going back there. When we look at chattel slavery, that's one thing. And that—that that is human trafficking. Human trafficking, no matter which way you look at it, is wrong. <laughs> God did not call for men to own men, or you know, or vice versa. Excuse me, we're traveling. But when it comes to human tra- human trafficking, sex trafficking—that's the same thing because it's still involving human beings. I don't know how we're gonna break it up from then. Human trafficking is human trafficking. And just put one word on it. It's slavery. And what the Bible has to say about it, Paul, when Paul was writing uh, about Onesimus, well, what did he tell him? He said, put it on, you on me. Put it on my account. Whatever he's taking from me, whatever Onesimus has done, put it on my account. But forget, well, you should forgive it. And receive him as a brother in Christ and not as a slave. That's a wonderful book. Some books need to read the people need to book the read the book of Philemon for sure. Praise the Lord. Back to you, Steph. What's up? Have you released all the people from your basement yet? What? What? What are we talking about now? I tuned out. What? What? He's saying you have slaves. Um, Whatever you want. How was your weekend, Mother Steph? Uh, yeah, it was good. Slavery is bad. The end. I had a really great point to make to Michael before. 
Just all right. You know, well, just back saying. to it. No, it's all gone right. now. It's gone. Because you forgot, or the moment has lost. The moment has passed. Who feels a twinge of guilt over that? I, I feel a little bad. I don't. I'm fine. Wow. Because <laughs> you're Calvinist, and I mean, you know, God willed it so. It's 100% true. Steph, what is with all the cutesy pictures of the dogs? <gasps> I got a puppy. Uh-huh. I did. He's so cute. Because you Look, didn't have back. enough to do with all the children. You needed a puppy. I know, listen, it'll be a shock to you, but I have a therapist, right? And I told my therapist I got a puppy, and he just stared at me, and he was like, why? Like, that was it. But look at him, he's so cute. You know what happens to puppies? They turn into dogs, and they grow old. I know, he's going to be a 70-pound golden retriever. We have, um... Mm. Oh my gosh, you'll you'll be able to make more like fur dolls from him. You'll be able to harvest his fur. Oh <laughs> yeah, you can spin it into the Angora oh. bunny. Oh, don't blend your fabrics. Don't have mixed fabrics oh. of Angora and Golden Retriever. That's true. You, know you are a Hebrew Israelite stuff. Oh, yeah. Now, in, in, Steph, in Steph's defense, Golden Retrievers only shed twice a year. Six That's months right. in the winter. So like right now it wouldn't it wouldn't like like when you say it, it doesn't shed does that mean like not in like mass like a snake losing its skin no, or no. It, it will still shed like small amounts you missed during the, joke. the year you missed yeah the joke. he said six months in the summer and six months in the winter but the funny thing is oh ah, sorry I was not listening true golden Bad retrievers thing. do only shed two times a year so right now I have a yellow lab beagle mix who sheds constantly and it's just tufts of fur like tufts of white puffy fur. Apparently retrievers do shed like that, but only twice. So, but it's funny that you say that about the rabbits because Angora wool is like the softest fabric, the softest textile in the world. And people do weave it with dog fur to increase its tensile strength. Oh my gosh. That may be the most peak hipster thing that I've heard you ever say. Well, we're opting for sheep wool instead. But now that you say that, I don't have sheep, but I do have a dog with long hair. So I think that's a great idea. Thank you, Chris. I mean, am I an inner hipster or an inner whatever that is? Like, yes. I, I don't You're know. Like, I, I called it like rabbit, rabbit fur and dog fur. Nate, how skinny are your jeans? Oh, no. <laughs> I cannot do that at all. Uh, I, even, like, I, can't, I, I can't even do regular or relaxed. Like, yeah, no no one will ever Mm -hmm. confuse me of like, those are skinny jeans. That will never happen. Like on a scale of like super baggy jeans, three sizes too big, or like Brad's jeans that are like super skinny, um, where where would you be? I weigh 100 Um, pounds. I have to wear skinny jeans. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I... For one, I haven't bought jeans for like six years, but um, I, what are they called? It's like the, the most, I mean, it's not like, you know, like super baggy, like falling off of me, but it's like the most, um, the, the most relaxed version of like normal jeans you can find in like normal stores. So I don't know if it's like athletic fit or, or I, I don't remember what they're called, but it's like whatever the, the most relaxed, big version of jeans you can find without being ridiculous. That being said, in high school, I wore Jinkos, and I love those things. Oh, <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> You're those are awesome. Steph right now. 
You're like actually killing her. She's gonna die of an asthma attack. She's laughing. No, Jinko was out of style when geez. when you were around. They were that was long before my time. I have never. I, I know. Seen were they still were they still where, popular no. whenever you were around? No, they were no. Long I have out never style. seen that in person. It's like speaking in tongues. I've never seen someone speak in tongues in person, and I've never really? seen someone wear Jinko jeans in person. Yeah. Ooh, what if we could make a combo? Maybe maybe we can find somebody some in a thrift store, and then just like wind them up and send them out what do you think you know what i have some information um oh great about uh 12 or 13 years ago i was kind of missing the jinko jeans i thought whatever happened to them and i like saw it on like a, a an ad or i saw it somehow anyways there was a resurgence and they came back and they had like ariana grande and like some other popular people trying to like you know promote them and they're like made in mexico now because i guess you know cheaper so I'm like, oh my gosh, I miss her so much. So like, I found a couple of the most restrictive jeans of that one, like the skinniest jeans of that, which were still like 30 inches around. And I'm like, you know what? And I bought a couple pairs and they showed up and I'm like freaking like in my thirties at this point. Anyway, so I got them. I tried them all in one time and it's like, oh man, I miss that time in my life, but I can't do this. So I sold them all on eBay. Uh, it's like true confessions day. Wait, Ch uh, Steph, how skinny are Chad's jeans? <laughs> Wait, are you see? Okay, Chad doesn't even. Okay, wow, he would. Not... Uh, first of all, Chad is born and raised in the trailer park, and he wears like the like uh, what do you call those? Um, Russell Carhartt? Wranglers. Yeah, he wears like Carhartt pants all the time and flannels even oh, in the God. summer. It's horrible. His entire closet is plaid, and he is the least hipster ever. He hates the rabbits. He refuses to use any social media. <laughs> like he is wildly, wildly not hipster. I love this guy already more dude, than I do. Dude, I used to wear Wranglers and stuff when I was in high school and college. Yeah, that was. Uh, I did so have. Yeah. Go ahead, Nick. Go ahead. I had a pair of Wranglers in uh, in middle school because my parents wouldn't buy me anything else. I just never liked the fit. Man, I don't know. I just I just never liked the way they getting rough in here. I mean, actually, okay. Chad gets all of his pants from like thrift stores and TJ Maxx, so they're yeah. period brands. But if he finds a pair of Carhartt pants at like Tractor Supply, he'll bring home three of those and then wear them for like five years. What about, like, the loose trading company? Where does he yeah. stand on that? I don't worry. Go to, like, Tractor Supplier, a Western store, you know, and, like, friend, what I'd do is I'd friend the people that work there, and I'd be like, here's what I want. <laughs> and they'd, they'd, every time I go in, they'd be like, oh, there he is, and they'd already have it on the counter. That's the way to do it right there. Yep. yep. Chad has uh, this. A Carhartt jacket that's called the Full Swing, and he doesn't even know what labels are on the rest of his clothes, but he has this, apparently Carhartt made this jacket that has this revolutionary kind of seaming at the shoulders and elbows so that you can get a full range of motion while still having that heavy canvas that the Carhartt is known for. And he brags to everybody on earth about his Carhartt Full Swing, and that's the closest <laughs> he gets to actually caring about what he's wearing. <laughs> Hey, work clothes are important. You got to it when you're working because if you don't, it's going to cause a problem. Hey, tell him I take it back. He doesn't need to surrender to you. Just, just, I, I take it back. 
He sounds he sounds as Chad as Chad can get. That he's exactly his namesake. Yes, this is correct. <laughs> and and Steph, if if me and him were together, it'd be the Chad and Brad connection. Chad and Brad. His uh, he had a buddy in school named Chance, and that was funny that it was Chad and Chance. <laughs> okay, Walter, what? Walter, what is it? I'm in no mood today, Walter. What do you want? What's, I don't understand. What's going on? Man. Yeah, he's after you, Steph. Ooh, I forgot to make her. Forgot to make you a mod. Oh, you forgot. Yeah. I think it's just misogyny. What What's going on? What's going on in chat? I don't know. Walter's poking people, and I've been ignoring it all morning, I'm probably but now not, I'm grumpy. But then again, to you, I'm probably not a Christian here at Ask a Christian. If you're not a Christian in Steph's book, you're probably not a Christian. Yeah, my bar is low. <laughs> my bar is super low. She has a low bar. She has a really low bar. I'm like fine Even I with make oneness. It. Love me some Catholics. Like the. Do you talk to foreign spirits and play with energy crystals? You're probably fine. No, 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 no. no. Jesus. All the has witches to be in her coven. They're they're. Oh my god. Ugh. I Men. Am I right? I don't ladies? know. Did any? How many ladies? Victoria, Yvette. I see you, dear. That's it. There's four of oh Francis is here. There's five of us in here, ladies. Come on. Oh Steph, I might. Have... Oh oh oh, I got. I'm not. Oh sorry. But I'm not. I mean, we're, we're we're men are terrible. True. I got told by a uh, oh you missed little deer. Um, I got told that I was blaspheming and going to uh, burn. Uh, let's see, they didn't say burn in hell. They said um, like denied eternal, not go to heaven by this guy who was like you know it was a super like. Um, sorry, Catholics, cover your ears. But seriously, um, th this guy uh, made this post about, you know, Mary um, is the mother of God or whatever, and, like, the thread got pretty wild. So I just commented. I'm like, they said something like the way Mary is the mother of God. I'm like, Mary's not the mother of God. Um, meaning, like, you know, she, she, didn't, she didn't birth the creator of the universe uh, from, like, before the creator of the universe existed. Right? I'm like, she's not the mother of God. She's the mother of Jesus. Yes, Jesus is God. But like, she's the mother of the incarnation, of the visible image of the invisible God. Not like she's the birth of the Alpha and Omega from inception. So anyway, that was the way it was, it was stated. And I worded it like super, super polite. And then they're like, you deny this. You deny this. You're blasphemy against the Holy Mother, blah, blah, blah. Oh, oh, I also said because, you know, she, she's not sinless. I'm like, look. Oh man! Oh, he's just gonna yeah. leave like that, huh? Yeah. I mean, yeah, he just, uh, wow! He got the there are many reasons why I wouldn't be Catholic or couldn't be Catholic, and there's a whole bunch of them right there. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, they don't—they don't think that Mary predates Christ. I mean, they are Trinitarian. We understand what they mean when they say "Mother of God," but you know, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Did you? Hey, did you watch that video I sent you? No. Oh my gosh. And now it's lost in our uh, long chat of Clubhouse gossip. Oh, hundred um, percent. I'll send it to you again. I'm it's really glad good. no one can see that. By the way, like, yeah, the back channel of Clubhouse gossip. Oh, I mean, my wife reads my back channels. So. Okay. Well, you and me and your wife are nasty. <laughs>
<laughs> I don't know about that. Um, truthful. Anyway. Um, yeah. So I guess that went well for you the other night <laughs> without, without getting into it. Yeah, guys, there'll be, I'll be going around Christian rooms. And the thing is that Chris is blocked from a lot of them for completely unknowable and totally mysterious reasons that no one could possibly identify why Chris would be blocked from. It's totally that. true. So then I, what I do is I, I go into his back channel. On I really am. And I give him the play by play. I'll be like, Chris, <laughs> there's this room and you'll never believe what this guy said. Chris, I don't think I talked to you about this seven spirits guy who's running around, though. Have you run into him? Oh, maybe. There's a dude on Clubhouse who goes by seven, seven spirits, seven something, but he's been starting to frequent a lot of the rooms that you're blocked from. And he goes on this entire thing about the seven churches and the seven spirits. And it's like his whole gospel. Yeah. So I'll, I'll start giving you the play by play on that guy because it is interesting. Sorry, I had a phone call. Oh, that's okay. <clears throat> anyway, you were saying, you know, something about uh, yeah. So they, I, I, like, oh, yeah, they're like you deny that that what Theokos or whatever. Um, Theotokos. And what what is that? Is that like sort of the hypostatic union or what? No, this means they... mother of God. It's just their a formal name for Mary. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm like. Look, Mary Mary gave birth to Jesus. Yes, that's fine. Mary was not sinless. Like, she's not a demon. She's not evil. She's probably a really cool person. But, uh, I mean, you know, she was blessed. Like, you know, Mary, congratulations. You're blessed of all women. And, you know, she was obedient. So good job. Probably a really good person. But not sinless. And she was not a perpetual virgin. Sorry. Like, brother doesn't mean, like, second or third cousin. That's not what that means. Anyway, so wording that in a very nice, polite way, I, I get told I'm blaspheming the mother of God and I'm shut out of heaven. I'm like... And this is one of those things, right, where um, it's not fun to be told you're going to hell, but I'm, you know, solid enough in my convictions that I'm like, fine, if that's what you think and you somehow make it to heaven, I guess you'll have to deal with me being there. Yeah, it's unlikely that you'll run into them. That's a um, good point. When Chris <laughs> is stuck in heaven with millions of Catholics, I'm going to be sitting there with my popcorn. I'm going to be so ready I am just going to be like, before I do anything else, I'm going to be like, where's Chris? Yeah. Like, since you, won't, since you won't be able to sin in heaven, I believe. Um, <laughs> so, so it's like Chris will, like, try to, like, you know, argue and tell them they're ignorant or tell them to read a book, like, whatever he does, except he'll, he'll be prevented from sinning. So, like, he'll just be, like, starting lots of sentences and, like, immediately be shut down. Be like, you no, but I, no, but I, <laughs> and then he'll just yeah. give up. Or, or alternatively, don't do it. They won't care, and they're just BS Calvinists. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> or, or what was the South Park uh, joke that was like, oh yeah, no, the ones who had it right, it was the Mormons. The Mormons all along, they had it right. Um, Germond just got yeah, here. Like Germond is another one of the ones that I will talk about the seven seven spirits guy with. That I get all the news from Germond about. The most recent heretic who's popping around. this dude around. I mean, I've oh, never really great. heard him go off on anything crazy, but I guess that's oh, not, not the case Oh, not Seven Spirits? Is that who no, you no, mean? I know Jermon. Yeah, no, oh, okay, I'm talking yeah. about Seven Spirits. Um, yeah, I mean, I've seen him in a few rooms, and he gets real animated. And, and at first, 
I think the only thing I heard him talk about was eschatology. And I was just like, why do we care so much about eschatology? Why is this like, you know, but it, I, I guess it's like a salvation thing for him. I, oh, what's up, little dear? We ignored you. Steph is sorry. Oh, yeah, it's Steph's fault. She came up yeah. when I said there no women in this room. I had to come up and help Steph out just in case Chris gets out of hand. You and I believe you're a Roman, even if Steph didn't include you. It's true. It takes multiple she ladies to be in check. She did include me. She did say Little Deer. Oh, did she? I did, yeah. I mentioned, okay, we had Francis, Little Deer, and then the other two are gone. So <laughs> now there's only three women in. Was she gone before my Catholic thing? No, she's been here. No, not her. Who are you talking what? about? What? Victoria. I said, was she gone before I like went on my Catholic uh, rant? Which, no, by the way, that's not, that's not like an... That's not like an anti-Catholic rat. Like, that's what happened. Like, if anything, the Catholic dude was the aggressor. Anyway. As is usually the case. <laughs> We're going to get to heaven and find out that, that that straight and narrow is the way and few who find it is, like, really, really few. Like, 7% of people who are Calvinists. Like, those are the only ones who really find the way. Like, that's how straight and narrow that road is. Which is only yeah. 6% of all of Christendom, so this is a very small number. Well, so, I would say it's more like 40%. It's six. But, but it's, uh, I mean, if you're going to count like everybody who ever walked into a church, then it's 6%. If you're going to count actual Christians, no. it's much higher. Christendom, which does what? include Catholics. So I guess if you rule out the Catholics, it's maybe 20. But if you include Catholics, it's a very small number of Let's well, rule out, let's rule out Catholics, Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, and most Pentecostals. Yeah, Christendom. Oh, all the ones you try to co-opt, like me and Steph, like your your Calvinist numbers can increase if you do that. We have craft beer. I mean... No, thank you. Uh, okay. The Arminians have I cookies. Mean, I, Steph. We have cookies, we have craft beer, and if you must insist, we have white wine. But it's a, it's a, a protest. I don't wait, do wine. Wait, what, what's wrong with red wine? Well, wait a minute. Do you do whiskey? Like So, no, so far, you've only turned do... your nose wait, up to the... beer. No, beer is, that's it. I do only beer. That's the only alcoholic oh, drink. But not craft beer. No, I don't, I don't like, like craft IPAs. Beer. Craft beers are always like IPA. I do like wheat. Wheat beers. Well, craft beers aren't always yeah. IPA. They yeah. always are. No, they are not always oh. IPAs. Are you joking? Well, no. Okay. Oh, man. Now we're going to have to do a whole ask a alcoholic room, I guess. Or it's going to be like all about <laughs> beer. <laughs> Ask an alcoholic, hey, what's uh, what what's kind of beers are out there? Hey, that's a Hefeweizen, and that's a, and we, and you know, we, that's a porter, and that's an IPA. I'm going to give Steph a whole beer education. There was yeah, this one, we, like, it was called, like, Laughing Lab. It was from a microbrewery when I lived in Colorado. It was great. I mean, it, it was, uh, oh, what was it? It was not IPA, not even close. It was, oh, my gosh. Name name some types of beer. I'm drawing a complete blank. I can't remember anything. Boston Lager? I think she said it was a, it was a lager. Yeah, it was some kind of some kind of lager. Pale ale, that's an IPA. No, it, was a, it was a lager. Yeah, so lots of people love hoppy IPA stuff, and I do not love hoppy IPAs. I like so like if it's hot, and I live in Florida, so it's hot quite often. Like I will drink. There's this there's this really silly beer called Mango Cart, and it is fantastic on a hot day. So I will have one one of those on a hot day or um i like hefeweizens which are like weedy beers um and then 
Uh, I do, I do like porters, which you may not like porters. That's like dark beer. So like Guinness would be a porter. Love some Guinness. Um, yeah. So, Wait, how is Guinness a porter? How is it not a stout? Or can it be a? Or it's a stout. It yeah, it's a stout. Sorry, but porter. Well, I guess so. Porters are going to be like even darker than stouts, right? What's an example of that then? I don't. Like I've had like a chocolate yeah, uh, porter. Yeah, like a coffee porter, like those kind of. Yeah, the, those are good. Do you like, like those? Motor oil. Yeah, pretty much. Ooh. I had a Guinness in Dublin just because I had to, even though I hate them, and they serve at room temperature, and it was disgusting. Ew, it doesn't sound but, good at all. I like it with the, like the nitrous infused Guinness. Like, that's awesome. Like. So smooth. The what? Irish. Nitrous infused? That's what I had when I was giving birth. You had you had Guinness while you were giving birth? No, nitrous. <laughs> That's what... Obviously. <laughs> I was like, we need to talk to your midwife. But, but uh, porters and stouts are really good for breastfeeding, so they do recommend a couple a week. There's something in it. So, yes, I have... Okay, anyway, nitrous infused... Yeah, what? there's alcohol in it. It helps the baby sleep. Yeah, the baby will be knocked out. This is, no, the, this is apparently Steph's secret to getting her children to sleep through the night. <laughs> Drink a Guinness every night before bed. No, it's like <laughs> twice a week. It's okay to have a dark beer if you're breastfeeding, ladies. Just so you- I'm dying over here. All I can all I can see is now Steph giving delivery, saying, "Okay, it's too late to cross a placental barrier. Give me a beer." <laughs> no, but I did. Okay, I did. Steph's baby has Guinness on tap. Each time in the parking lot. Before you know, like it's because that's that actually. All right, that's a whole. <laughs> you were drinking beer in the parking lot. What? I had one before each delivery. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, technically, nothing being said is horrible, but I mean, it is some really funny imagery. Like you're pounding beer in a parking lot, pregnant, about to give. The question is, were you wearing your Angora bunny hat? That is the question as you were walking no. into the hospital. I've never had a wintertime baby, so no. Yeah. But that's only. Okay. How, how'd you like that Boston Logger commercial I sent you on YouTube? That whole accent thing with it. You got to have the accent with it. Sorry, I liked that commercial. I'd never seen it, but now I'm changing a diaper and can't talk. Yeah. All right. Has anyone got some holy questions to talk about, or have we have we just uh, have we missed? Oh my gosh! Remember last week the guy that like chastises for like thirty minutes on we weird bad Christians because we're not talking exclusively about the gospel. His face would melt if he was here right now. I would just make sure to give him a beer. That's not what he was saying. Listen, that guy is a good dude. Like I love that guy. We don't need to mention his name. He's a good dude. I like Darren. He was saying that when you're answering objections, you should try to always bring it back to the gospel rather than getting caught in the philosophy of the thing. Which and we do right. Like that's a huge complaint of ours is when that doesn't happen. We illustrated it very well that it's not like when we did the role reversal thing, which you kind of left during, but. Or like you had to go halfway through, but he he uh, like acquiesced that it was in this type of room. It's not as simple as he thought. So yeah, he it's came like around. A gladiator arena. Yeah, I think he figured that out. Yeah, we do have a new guy on stage. Rob or Roberto's been here a while. Oh yeah, he talked earlier. Uh, Roberto, do you have anything else to say? He has the Noah questions. Oh okay, I wasn't looking. Sorry. My PT, my PTR isn't antagonistic enough. Hold on, give me a minute. 
Oh, do the mummified hand. That's always a good one. <laughs> we totally don't worship. I, I, I mean, sorry, I was. I'm sorry for interrupting. Yeah. I, 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 I had a question that just uh, I was driving and like I couldn't get to the mute button, unmute button. Um, uh, it has to do with Ephesians five and marriage. Um, so for I guess my entire life of knowing about that um, chapter in the Bible, I always um, said that um, women, um, husbands and wives are both to, supposed to submit to one another. I believe that's verse 21 but a friend of mine brought up the yeah that's what i was i was kind of blown away this weekend he said that it says nothing about marriage until verse 22 and i just wanted to wonder if you guys had that came to that same conclusion because i all the time i always said oh husband was supposed to submit to the wives just as much as to the husband to the wife is supposed to submit to the husband and then when he broke down from the earlier verses down uh it had nothing to do with marriage and i was just kind of blown away just want to know your thoughts on that it does not Go say ahead, husbands submit to the wives. No, that's not a thing. Sound like Chris had an opinion on that. Right. <clears throat> so there's a whole thought going on in, pardon me, there's a whole thought going on in Ephesians 5, and this is a, a biblical picture of marriage, um, and it has to do with submission and authority. And what uh, Paul is laying out is the structure of the family that, you know, the, the husband is the leader of the family and Christ is the leader of the husband. And then he has a parenthesis where he talks about Christ and the church. And he's giving an example of how the church submits to Christ. Um, and that there's a deep mystery there um, in terms of being the bride of Christ. Uh, and then he goes back to talking about the biblical picture of marriage. And so there's kind of a parenthesis in the middle of the pericope where Paul is giving an example of proper submission, and that is the church to Christ, and Christ as the head. And uh, the the idea being that the wife submits to the husband, the husband submits to Christ, even unto death, sacrificially for the wife. So that is the picture of biblical marriage. And they don't even want to make you a sandwich. I mean, we're too busy giving birth to all these children, but it's fine. Pounding beer in the parking lot. Yeah, well, you will have salvation childbirth. That means you're saved no matter no matter what else you think. Chris, you want to talk about that for a minute? How does that not mean that? You will be saved in what sense? Uh, surely not, you know, from damnation of hell because, you know, Jesus. So how will they be saved? Boy, so saved in the scripture means a whole bunch of different stuff depending on the context. Um, in this particular context, I believe it's in Titus. Is it in Titus? I don't remember. Um, anyway. You have both so, bones? Do I? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm unmuted. The the baby picked up both of the puppy's bones and he's gonna, she's going to go give it to him. It's the so puppy's cute. bones? Yeah, the little bones that he chews Oh, on. wait, chew toys. Wait, wait, this is your daughter? She's walking? No, no, she's crawling with the both bones in her hand. It's so cute. Oh. I'm sorry, I didn't realize I was unmuted. Carry on. No, that was adorable. Get back to childbirth. Cute. Yeah. Yeah, Titus. You have you more babies to have. Yes. Hey, um, quick question with Wait, regards I'm sorry, to I that. I don't think Chris was done. I've interrupted him so rudely. I'm sorry. I mean, I, that pretty much covers it. I mean, it's just a, it's a, it is not a mutual submission. That is a, 
that is a modern misinterpretation of Ephesians 5. No, the saved and childbirth thing. Oh, the saved and childbirth thing. It just means that, long story short, it just means that women were saved through the birth of Christ and that, uh, you know, that it is a picture. So childbirth is a picture of the incarnation. That's all that's talking. Uh, is it fair to say that the letters to the Ephesians were not necessarily meant for uh, like the Corinthians or like like this the message maybe not applies to all of the other tribes? No. Would you would you agree with that? Not in any way. So you're saying he wrote it to the Ephesians and it's a blanket. So he might as well just wrote it in general, not necessarily uh, noted to them. Well, I mean, so he's dealing with very specific things going on in the Ephesian church, yeah. as he is in the Galatian church, just as he is in the, yeah. the Corinthian church. The thing about divine revelation is that it's either true or it's not. And so we can take the principles as laid out by Paul in all of the epistles and apply them as timeless truths, no matter where you are or what the context is. But you do have to take the audience into context, what's going on in Ephesus, what's going on in Corinth. You have to take the historical context. You have to take the, like, everything that's going on in order to understand what Paul is saying correctly. Right, and you'd really have to know, like, why he would be specifically telling the Ephesians about the marriage, right? But he didn't say anything to the, the Corinthians about it, right? Well, and, and, and I totally agree. You wouldn't, you wouldn't write a letter to your people in Louisiana the same letter, like the same uh, uh, guidelines to the people in Uganda, you know, like there, there's completely different Well, for example, it's like the guy who was sleeping with his mother-in-law, like whatever church, was that in Corinthians? Like the guy that's sleeping with his mother-in-law and they kicked him out of the church, like very specifically, he was writing to that church being like, hey, yeah, or, you know, talking to this church and saying, hey, this is bad. This is how you need to deal with the situation immediately, for example, versus if this would have been like a letter going to another church. I mean, they he wouldn't write that to that church because that's not specifically happening. However, if this other church gets this correspondence, they're like, oh, hey, we have the same situation going on. Well, of course, it universally applies. But if it's not happening at that moment, he's, he's clearly addressing the most immediate place it's happening. So I would say something like that, right? Like yeah, divisions, like. Maybe they were having marriage issues, so he wrote that to, you know, double down on marriage to them immediately. But then by the time it comes up in, you know, Corinth or somewhere else, they're like, oh, yeah, look, this is exactly what happened in Ephesus. This is the, you know, universal truth. We just didn't need it at that time because we were busy worrying about the dude sleeping with his mother-in-law. Yeah, I, I totally example. agree with you guys. I just, I have a hard time uh, saying that they're, uh, you know, they're not very specific to individual areas and, and how they would be forever truths or, or whatever I, I have a hard time with that well because they're like you wouldn't they're timeless truths you just have to read the scripture within its context always and so we don't know talking, we don't know what was going on in uh corinth when when the when the letters were written right like we don't we, we don't of course we, we do do. I don't, do you do yeah. you sure what, what was their what was their uh you know uh main economy what 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 happened in Corinth? like what was uh, most people did for work and employment oh, wait you want to know the, you want to know the popular like color of fabric they wore like that's that's being ridiculous yeah. and criticizing oh, no, we that. Yeah, like well that's what i'm saying what 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 well hang on we, yeah so steph is probably going to drop some art that we do know that but i would say first of all like theologically <laughs> like spiritually 
that's the point. So, I mean, if we know, need to know what the common sample size was, we may not know, and that's irrelevant. But what were you saying, Steph? Oh, wait, did Steph, you, you, you the, uh, Yeah, sorry. We do know the colors of the fabrics they wore. I, I just wanted to put that. Well, are you saying, like, we, we know as in, like, uh, like, collectively people in 2023 know, or you're saying you know? Uh, I, I'm like saying that we know what colors people wore at certain times because we know when certain dyes came into use thanks to the study of art history, which I have a degree in. So that is one okay. topic. That I could, yeah. So you, you know what color they were wearing? Yes, they used earth tones and ochres to dye fabrics. And uh, the most royal of all colors in this area and the Near East or in Rome would have been blue because lapis lazuli was a really expensive hue to obtain and so people in royalty would have dyed their robes mostly blues or purpose purple from lapis lazuli and the rest of the people would use earth tones found in nature you're welcome i mean ochre is used ochre is used all over the world my the indians on my island used to used to use ochre too yes it's because extremely common but it doesn't wait yeah. what island so these are like common earth tones you can dye fabrics yes. with right so what's what's your we know what color. Well, I'm saying were. okay, maybe maybe we know the color, but we don't know uh, how the economy was uh, specifically in the sure in we the, do. the time when this letter was written. Bro, you there's know so that, much. Chris? There's, yeah, there's so much history uh, like for, that's preserved from ancient Rome. Like we know all about Corinth. We know all about Thessalonica. Like all kinds. You're of saying things. we? Who's we? I'm People saying Western civilization. You People go and books. read. I'm, you know, like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I know all of the, you know, from 30 okay. AD to 60 AD, you know, what the economic situation of the city of Corinth is. Right. I don't know that information off the top of my head, but it can be. Right. And I'm up. saying that you would, you would, you would need to know that to get context for the, for the, uh, the letter written. So no, I would no. agree. By that, context, he uh, means like read a whole chapter. Right. Or no, no like, I don't mean read the whole chapter. You You'd have to know the That's background of the place. Bob, Bob, yes, are you... you unaware of like the study of archaeology being a field that people like, okay, have you ever talked to Dr. Josh? Like there are people who have entire degrees and specializations in, in these topics. Like you're saying we like you're over in Canada and you don't know anything about the ancient Near East. Well, there are plenty of people I, who do. We can consult them. Right, I know. I agree with you. I agree with you that, that there are people that know. I, I don't dispute that. But those people aren't coming to to the group and saying, hey, actually, this was written in, in Ephesians because X, Y, and Z. All we get is the book. And we're, we're grasping at, and I mean we as in the people in the room, are grasping at what they thought by this verse. We would really we in the room would have to go back and, and become experts on that area and oh, what had Lord. happened and why the context would be to really get a full sense of, of what he meant by that. And why did he but say you've it that done way? Neither. I, you're right. I haven't. I, I, that's why I'm, I'm here asking questions, right? I'm, I'm just right, trying right. to find so, out. Uh, so Bob, like there's tons of commentators that have done all of that primary research. And so what we would say, I agree with is you. That, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Right, so, Right. So, so what I would say is that I've read Voss and I've read, you know, lots of really good commentators on, say, First Corinthians to know a lot about the history or they would know okay. a lot about the history. Because like yep. Steph is making, is making the point that, like, you know, there are people that have actual degrees I agree. that are super narrow yes. about knowing the entire I totally history agree. of first century Corinth. 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, that's not the argument. Things are not that's not the argument. But, but you're making a really good point. And so let me let me tell you what the really good point that you're making is, is that in order to add context to a lot of New Testament passages, there are certain things that you have to that you have to delve into deeper yes. in order to understand the historical socioeconomic, like all of these things that are really important to understanding these texts. Now, in some of the texts, like, I don't have to know anything about ancient Israel to know what John 11.35 means, right? So John 11.35 says, Jesus wept. Okay? I don't need to know what the main cash crop of first century Jerusalem is in order to understand John 11.35. So where sociocultural um, artifacts are found and they matter to the meaning of the text, that's when that's important. When we're talking about general things that are common to all humans, context in terms of history is less important. So like we're talking about like, hey, don't sleep with your father's mother, you know, your father's wife, like. We don't need to know, again, the main cash crop of Corinth to know what Paul is talking about and apply that as a sure. timeless principle. I'll use, I'll use the Jesus wept as just a, a, a basic example. We'll stick on that one. So um, you would, you, I mean, it sounds simple, right? Jesus cried, right? He wept. Uh, you'd really have to go back to the word wept and see what the context was. Does it mean, because wept also means... Uh, you know, if you, if you, um, you know, gulled your heel and you had, um, liquid coming out of your heel, like pus. So, I mean, I'm not saying that that's what it is, but I'm saying that there are multiple meanings of what did that Greek word or that Aramaic word mean in the original verse? And did they use it in more than one place? Right. Just like we say as in a sore. So there's something called the TLG. Um, that we have, this is the thesaurus of, of Greek lexicons, um, uh, or lexical Greek, or something like that. I don't remember. I don't remember what it stands for, but you can get buy a subscription to it. And it tells you semantic ranges of meanings for all kinds of words, and gives you examples of how they're used throughout history, so that right. we can understand better. So, like when we're talking to people who are actual scholars as opposed to layman's. Here's the shortcut, is that I don't have to do the primary research myself. I can go read a commentator that has done the primary research and has access to the very expensive TLG um, to and and can actually read Greek and read not just Koine Greek, but also read secular Greek um, to to give me some ideas about semantic range of meanings. Um, And so, again... I can't yeah, interact I agree with, that. with that primary research, right? I, like, I, I have completely to rely agree with that. on scholars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so hey, guys, I real have quick. To rely let, on let me, scholars. Yeah, let, let, me, let me give you some, uh, some huge knowledge bombs, right? Um, okay, so Jesus wept. Let's take uh, Luke 1135. Uh, Dakaru wept. It's a verb. Yeah, it's in like three places. Um, it's a verb. What does Dakaru mean? It means to weep. What does that mean? To shed tears. So there you go. Um, oh, that's just 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 an example. Um, yeah, but you can do that yeah, for every true. single thing you want to quibble yeah, over. Yeah, you have you to know the that. context before is all I'm saying. You have to know it before. Right. You, well, you and, can't and just again, take the, like like as a layman, I read 
I read, uh, you know, first Timothy, uh, where he talks about women should remain silent. Well, is that a, is that a, uh, in a certain context of where they are located, like in a church? No, that's a universal command because of the context <laughs> of the rest of the passage. But the, but the, the point being here though, is that when we, when we add historical context, it adds to the flavor of the meaning. It doesn't completely change the meaning on its head. If you take, if you take a historical context that is completely changing the meaning that everyone has had for 2000 years, then what you have to do is examine that claim. So there's currently a claim out there that Theanustas in 2 Timothy 3.16 has a semantic range of meaning that could mean vivification rather than God-breathed. Now, if that's the case, then the, the point that's being made is that Paul did not see the scripture as something that God is communicating to us, but that he, he had a 20th century liberal Protestant understanding of the scripture, right? And so, like, that's the claim. Well, that guy who wrote that in 2021 has not yet had any of his work vetted by any other scholars. And there are people running around touting his new scholarship as the newness when literally no other scholar has interacted with it. And so what we can't do is just take novel meanings to things or read things into the text that, it, that no one has ever gotten out of it before. And then say, hey, yeah, I agree with that. This, yeah, I know. I totally agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's kind of what we do now. Right. Like as a as a Joe Blow on the street, I'll pick up a Bible and I'll read it. And I'm like, ah, I'm looking at this from my 2023 view or my maybe my 1990 view. Right. I mean, I don't sure. know. I'd really have to get back into the context and just reading it, yeah. uh, you know, in my in my in my uh, by my fireplace. Uh, you know, without doing the scholar, scholarly work that, that has been done. And, and yes, we collectively as humans know what the die was and what the economy was like. But but the, the pastor on the pulpit probably hasn't read, you know, when he pulls a passage out of Timothy or Corinthians or Ephesians. Okay, yeah, no, he said it this way to the Ephesians because X, Y, and Z. He actually said it this way to the Corinthians because, you know, they, they do things a little different over there. You, you really do have to get well, the context. Well, that's a pretty behind. big assumption. Right, but most and the pastor hasn't read. The pastor most hasn't. Most pastors delved in. Most pastors are ignorant to the topic they're preaching about. Yes, I mean that most of them. I no, think I, most I, of them have I don't, a fairly I don't, good understanding. I mean, my yeah, I guess if they're the if they're credentialed and stuff, maybe they in their and their you'd have to look at their background and what school they went to yeah. and 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 what subjects they studied, right? Well, but my pastor has a counseling degree, but my pastor know, has forgotten more about theology than most theologians. So I mean, like he and my pastor's name Mike Atkins. He's really great. You can go listen to his sermons. He does all of the primary research. Um, he doesn't have the languages, but he relies on commentators. To do these things and you know he does 40 hours of research himself not like a team of people or anything crazy like that he does 40 hours of research for each sermon each week right but you could primary you, you can understand my 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 thought on that not every pastor is like him right they're not all created equal there's guys that just go and, and do their job and, and 
and collect a paycheck too, right? Well, let's take a, pair, a page out of Darren. Let, let's make Darren happy right now, Fess. So, like, where are we going with this? Is this to say, because, like, by the time we're talking about pastors that I will never know and will never have anything to do with my life, like, well, no, it goes back to. Hang on, I'm, I'm answering this for you. So, the ultimate question is are we to say that, you know, because, you know, most people you would say have such a little understanding of context and stuff like that that we're going to mess up like the ultimate point of the Bible. So when Jesus says, repent, believe the gospel, ask for eternal life, be born again, receive eternal life. Um, are we saying that we can't possibly know what that means? Cause I would say nothing to do with that. we absolutely, then, then why do we care so much? Cause like this means nothing to me right now. Like well, you I was, can get I was going back to Roberto's. Well, but you can get all the context you need, like about the Bible things by just reading the context of that clumping of scriptures. Like, if you want to know the time, if you want to know who they're talking to, if you want to know what the practical application is, just read the whole chapter. Like, read the whole book. Like, that's going to tell you the biblical context. And then as okay. far as we, if we okay. need to know, like, you know, colors and dyes and eco economy, that's extra. But you still get the context of the spiritual meaning without any external sources. Well, that, that's contradictory to what Chris said. Like, you really, you really should know. You know, his pastor's doing the 40 hours of research just to get the, no, you're, the idea you're, you're, Wait, you're wrong and you're talking a lot. That's not contradictory to what Chris said. Chris said the same thing I said. He said it adds flavor, but it doesn't change the meaning. That's what Chris said, and that's what I just said. So so now you guys, you, now you're saying you don't need the context of the day and what was going on at the time to get the meaning of why they said it a certain way. So, you can if you need it. So... I'm done. Repent right, believe so, the gospel. So here's the thing. So here's the thing, man. It's like, so, so Bob, the, again, these are really good questions. You're not wrong. Okay. So like the, the question is really good. So we did, Pastor Mark and I taught 24 hours on hermeneutics on clubhouse. Um, not straight, but two hours a week for 12 weeks. And it covers all of these topics and how we use historical sources, how we use commentaries, how we use, you know, all of these different extra biblical tools to get more flavor from the text. Um, and then, you know, it's like, there are some arguments like, hey, is, you know, first, first Corinthians 11 about head coverings, is that cultural? Or is that a timeless principle? Like, there's definitely discussion on that. And, and, you know, there's semantic range of meaning discussions on a lot of texts as well. <coughs> not wrong about these things. Sorry, okay, I thought I okay, muted. Up, but, <laughs> I thought I muted, my bad. No, no, no. But like, but what, what we're saying is like, so there's a really good, did Bob leave? I, I just moved Bob because I'm over this conversation. Oh, like no, I, no. I appreciate, so, I appreciate anyway, the question, I'm, but it's been answered. And I'm you're driving, doing a great so, job. Well, Could I uh, just so add one thing? Yeah. And then I wanted to as well. Go, go ahead, Chris, finish your thought. Oh, all I was saying is that, you know, there's lots of stuff that we can add flavor. It's not going to completely reverse the, the the initial reading of something, um, unless we're talking about some fairly deep theology. So uh, when when it says Jesus doesn't know the day or the hour, we need to look into that a little bit more than just taking that at like a at a surface. I was just going to add the scripture also tells us we need to work out our own salvation through prayer and supplication. So if we're relying on some preacher, then that onus is upon us to follow up, to, to study the word of God in prayer and supplication.
Yeah. And I was going to tell him something along the same lines of like, you know, when we're doing any kind of historical study, I, I always, I always think about like the constitution, right? So the American constitution or the, the bill of rights, we can look at and say the first amendment, we have a right to freedom of speech, right? Anybody knows what that means. We all understand what freedom of speech means. Like you can say what you want to, and we all get the spirit of that law, right? Then there's infinite amounts of depth you could go into on that. Let's look into the Federalist Papers and Thomas Paine, and let's read other firsthand accounts of what was going on during that day, and you just get more and more depth of knowledge. But it's not necessary to understand what a right to free speech is. So it's very much the same way with Bible study. You have this, it, it doesn't, like seven-year-olds can understand this just fine, but then there are also scholars who've spent entire lifetimes feeling like they've never figured out certain mysteries. And that's the beauty of this book is that it's, you can go as deep or as shallow as you want to. And if you're coming out with the gospel message, then you've got it. it, it it's funny. The gospel was... Yeah, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, it's funny. I've been sitting, I've been sitting, listening to all that stuff, and I was, I was almost at the point where I started counting in my head. And then Nate, you said it. I was like, I, I was like, I give up, repent and believe. Um, and I, I giggled as you said that, um, because I, I've never, and I don't want this to just sound as like you know, um, uh, incredulity, but I've, I've never encountered. A, a Christian, or not even a, just a Christian, but a, like a, a a believer of any faith tradition that looks at any of the, I mean, it's probably fair to say these are all, they're, I wouldn't even call them secondary issues. I call them like third or fourth uh, degree issues. Um, I, I've, I've never encountered a believer that would, you know, kind of look at things like that and say that that has anything to do even remotely with soteriology. Right, like what it takes to be saved. Like I mean, the Bible's pretty clear, right? You know, what must I do to be saved? Repent. You know, repent and believe on Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. Um, so it, it's it's pretty simple. And I mean, <laughs> it, it sounds silly, but I mean, even, even I know that stuff. Michael just gave the gospel. I love it. <laughs> no, I was gonna comment. Thank you, Michael. Don't cry, Steph. It's funny. You're like, oh, he's okay. growing up yeah. so well. Yeah, because I mean, it's all—it's just made up, right? But you know, but uh, you know, ah, Michael, you ruined it. You were you doing so good. It. Stop ruining it. Just go with it. Just go with it for a day. Make her happy. I mean, it's definitely not going to make your life worse unless you start like owning slaves and saying how the Bible commands you to, or something like that. Like generally, if you just repent and believe, the worst case scenario is you may think you're being a little dishonest with yourself. But I have a feeling that wouldn't last very long. So in anything, it's not going to make your life worse. Sorry, were you waiting for more comments? Or is everyone just sitting there guffawed of what, over what I just said? I'm looking at robes to get the right size. What was it again you wore? Uh, it depends, usually extra large. Well, well, that'll change to a large by the time we impose our dietary restrictions that don't exist upon you. Oh, are you going to have to make him a vegan? I tell you what. <laughs> I'm out. Tell you what, have you to or get vegan? to. I tell you what, you make him a vegan, I'll make him a Calvinist. How about that? Is that a good trade-off? <laughs> I mean, Calvinists horrible. are still saved no matter how bothersome they are, so sure, fine. <laughs> 
Michael, just be an Arminian. If you come to the Westland Church, you can eat whatever you want, and Kelvin won't bother you there, and it's a good life. But but what I was going to say was, Chris, didn't you help Steph with that? Yeah, that's true. Oh, how he got her to Calvinism? Steph. She's going to be a she's going to be a right thinking Calvinist. You know what, Brad? That's a wrong thinking Calvinist. Her in that pot. I've had enough of Brad today. <laughs> <laughs> Can't help it. All right, I got to go drop a computer off for a coin. All right. Have we touched enough sensitive topics today? What else else do we have? I don't know. That conversation just bugged me, right? I, I mean, like, we started off with, you. how can you possibly understand who he's talking about in Corinthians? The answer is, look, prove it to yourself. Just back up to the beginning of the chapter, or if you really are in a pinch, back up to the whole book. That You know, the book of Ephesians takes like 20 minutes to get through all of it. So, I mean, that's going to tell you all the context you need to know about who he's talking to, why he's talking to him, and what the spiritual implication is. Like, and it went from that, which is the indisputable answer. Like, read it yourself and see how right we are. It's not like up for debate. But then to say that now, if you don't know the, the economics and, you know, the socioeconomic leanings of the time, you can't possibly understand what Ephesians is talking about when he talks about husbands and marriage and submitting. Um, and then it goes from that somehow to, oh, well, now most preachers don't study and they have to really study. Like, where are we going? Like, this is this is a crazy world. Yeah. And I think that appeal to, you know, trying to say like, oh, well, you can't talk about this topic if you don't know anything about it. It's like, dude, are do you have a master's in economics? Is that a requirement in order to be able to use your debit card? Like there are elements <laughs> of everything that you can take at a shallow level and have it be perfectly functional. I eat food every day and I'm not a registered dietitian. I have no idea what it's doing after <laughs> I swallow it. Like for real, every single day I put food in my mouth and then I don't know what happens after that. Uh, and still I do it like this just, it's just silly to be like, Man. Oh, well you have to now, if you're teaching, I think the point about the pastors was actually a better one because if you're up at the pulpit and you're taking on the responsibility of teaching, then you had better have some credentials, but you know, and well, not even credentials. You had better have some ability to speak on the topic that you're talking about. So for example, if we have someone who's up at the pulpit, who's a dad and he's talking about like, you know, raising biblical children, he doesn't need to necessarily be ordained to do that. But if he's teaching about the history of the Corinthians, I would definitely want him to have some qualifications. So that's where discernment comes in. But I think he was appealing. He kept saying the average Joe, like the average Joe doesn't know the history of Corinth. The average Joe doesn't need to know the history of Corinth. It's just, I don't know. That's a yeah. silly. And, and, and it's just such a lowbrow view of like, like pastors, right? I have no, again, no dog in this fight. Um, but I mean, you can bet, like, like, just think it's not about a pastor. It's just about a person getting up and saying stuff in front of a group of people. So is it more reasonable that people will take a Bible, like a pastor will just take a Bible um, and jump up on the pulpit and start reading a couple verses, uh, having never looked into a book, like have no idea what they're trying to preach about. And they're going to preach for 30 minutes and they just read a Bible verse and act like an expert. That is crazy. That's a ludicrous to think that. Even if you think like there's the most backwoods, uneducated, probably can't read pastor you can find, they would not do that. Like that's just human nature. You don't want to be made to look foolish. So at least the most uncredentialed pastor, I mean, I'm sure there's cases out there somewhere, but to say all or most or whatever, that, that's just so insulting to like reasonableness and logic. 
like it is perfectly reasonable to think that the least amount of, of credentialed pastor would at least like crack open a book like a commentary on Corinthians or either they're like, I want to preach about marriage. OK, we're going to talk about Ephesians. All right. I'm going to Google this thing on an Internet, whatever that is, and, and you know, Google some Corinthian stuff like they're going to do a, a decent amount of research to one, be able to have enough content to speak for 30 minutes and two, not immediately be ridiculed by all the congregations. Um, you know, because we can also do that. So it just the whole conversation was just like, I don't know. It, it, it was just bothersome. Like, even if you take, like, it, it's not like we're trying to defend God or religion. It's just like, this is the way the world works. Michael, if I wanted, if I like got a news article from like AP and I'm like, hey, talk about the subject. It's about global warming and climate change. Um, and then I'm like, hey, bro, there's a symposium. You're the speaker. Would you be like, okay. And you'll just read that article and rattle off a bunch of stuff. And you're like, well, hope it's true. Uh, I had 30 minutes to speak, but I'm done in five. I'm out of content. Or would you be like, uh, okay, well, sure. And you'll you Google it. You'll check in the article. You'll like vet it as much as you can. You'll look at the sources. You'll see other writings they may have written about it. Um, you'll see what the, the pros and cons are. You'll probably look at their, um, their pushback. You'll look at the detractors and see what they have to say. And you'll get a good, well-rounded version in a little bit of time and effort. And now you can talk about your symposium. You may not ha have a degree in climatology, but you've got something you could talk about that you've vetted and done some research on. Would that be what you do? Or do you be like, nah, screw it. All right, I'll take this article and I'm off. Not many people would do that. Most people would spend a minimal amount of time researching what they're about to speak about for 30 minutes. Well, yeah, I don't know. Am I crazy, Michael? I don't want to lead you too much, but I mean, I, no, I feel like. No, no, no. The, the problem is, is based on – and. <sighs> I don't want to be too attacky because, you know, he's not here to defend himself anymore. But, it, you know, it's like if, if every if, if you carried through kind of what he was saying, right, if you, if you followed it through, if we all waited to be experts on stuff before we started talking about anything, none of us would say anything. Um, you know, I mean, but, you know, and, and I think what Steph said is, is really good. You know, it's like, you know, we, she eats every day. You know, she's not a dietitian. You know, she, you know, she's not a you know, she's not a, you know, Michelin rated chef, you know, but she still can cook. Right. You know, it, it's, these things are not, I, yeah, I think it's just putting too much in, uh, put, putting too much into it. And like I said, if, if we all waited to be experts, conversations would be really dull, right? If all we could ever talk about are things that we have, you know, personal knowledge and experience of, I, I don't know. Yeah. It just seems so Well, that's why, and I get it what he was saying, but that's why the way he was going about it was not like it's going to end up at exactly the place that you just described. It's like, okay, well, then we all just go to bed because there's nothing to talk about. Well, and again, it goes back to even if you're at a conference or something, if you want to take what they say seriously, you don't just look to them and, and go, ah, everything they said is true. You're going to vet it. You're going to investigate it. You're going to look at it. Same with the scriptures. We have to work hey. out our own salvation and research it ourselves. Hey, Shri, what's up? How are you doing? If you're speaking. Well, let us know if you have anything to say. Just find the mute button and hit the mute button so you can speak. I 
I do think there should be a stricter uh, set of standards for pastors, though. But that's the other thing is that it goes denomination by denomination, right? Like some churches in my area have completely unqualified leadership, and some have, you know, people who've been through seminaries and rigors and academic prowess that I can't even begin to touch on. And, you know, this is the problem with with uh, Protestantism, <laughs> right? There's like, it's kind of, it is a little bit willy nilly. Um, so I don't know, I would be for, but then like, yeah, like I said, some congregations don't require that when they're hiring a pastor and some do, some denominations make it a big deal and some don't. So I tend to go towards the churches that require specialization, but you know. Well, except I don't think it's right to say Protestantism because that's just like anything not Catholic. So, I mean, and we see that Catholics are not on the same page too, always like Vatican II. So, you know, even, even though they have their totally, we're all on the same page. Well, no, they're not. So, you know, no one's exempt. And Protestantism, like, you know, if you say, well, hey, I'm going to start a church. I'm a Protestant. That I mean, then you're like, oh, well, it's because they're Protestants. But if you have a Protestant, not Catholic organization that, you know, like, like just take the Baptists, for example. Like, you know, they have a very set, um, you know, doctrine and requirements and things like that. And, you know, whether you agree with them or not, I mean, you can't say like they haven't done their homework. They don't have requirements and stuff like that. They do. And they are technically Protestant because they're not Catholic. Um so, yeah. Well, okay. I meant to illustrate it in contrast to a massive organization that has very strict education and lifestyle requirements, right? Like they are very organized about who ends up in their pulpits. And, you know, I could plant a church right now if I wanted to. So I didn't mean to paint a broad brush. I just mean in contrast. Well, and also like, you know, education is, I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, like a, a Luddite or something, but I guess that's technology, but whatever the non-technology version of that is. Um, but I mean, I, I'm not anti-education, but also education is not everything, right? So if you find some people who have their degree of divinity and, you know, they are calling themselves a reverend and they're supposed to be an expert on theology and the Bible and all this, yet they are like completely for everything the Bible is against. It's like, okay, well now your qualifications are less than useless and they're actually damaging people because you are leading them astray. So, um, you know, education is is not always uh, better. Yeah, I agree. It's certainly not the only qualifier, but I think uh, Christians in the American church hearing like people can preach nonsense from a pulpit. Yeah, they totally can. Um, so that's, that's exactly what little deer is saying. This is where discernment comes in. I mean, the Bible warns, Paul warns about this over and over and over. Be discerning about what you're being taught. Test it. Test it against what you know. Test it against what the Spirit tells you. This is this is a crucial part. This is the living part of Christianity, right? Is that we don't just blindly follow false prophets and bad teachers. So, you know, I can see what he was saying, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, we have a countermeasure for that already. Thank you. Yeah, and Steph, I don't know why you hate America, but it's not just America that preaches crazy stuff. Like, I just saw a Facebook ad for Miracle Salt from, like, Prophet Ojibwani or something in um, U Uganda or Nigeria. Um, but the dude selling Miracle Salt taking pictures of Ferraris. So, I mean, you know. Okay, but could you send me the link later? Because I could use uh, We need some of that. Share, share. Uh, better yet, I'll, I'll make my own. Hey, give me a minute. Let me run to my kitchen and grab some salt and I'll, like, bless it or what uh, see that's why you need education so you don't pour water in your holy water on your holy salt because then it will clump so you need education i guess to tell you I'm not to crying. do that <laughs> i've got holy pepper will that work i got holy pepper <laughs> some holy cayenne will burn the hell out of you hey i was gonna burn, say burn the eternal place of damnation yeah 
Hey, I was just going to say there is a balancing act between that. I, I mean, I'm a believer in education, but at the same time, what education did Peter have? He just spent time with the Messiah. You know, he spent time with Jesus. So there is a the uh, the balance between education and non-education. But I mean, like the church in China, what seminary are they attending? You know what I mean? So it's like, uh, you know, what do you do? <laughs> I think that's the crux of this. Um, and people act like it's so. I, I I know how this is about to sound. Actually, I get so so I don't know confusing or so so much. Which yes, you can spend a lifetime getting into the finer stuff. But as far as the 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 fundamentals, like the the very basics, and and even more than than the nutshell, uh, Michael and I talk about. I mean, you know, like the very very the stuff you find in the epistles. Like it's not a whole lot of of major content, right? There's stuff that deals with like sexual immorality, uh, human sexuality, marriage. Uh, child raising, um, decorum, church rules, church organization. So, I mean, as far as, as, you know, a calculus textbook would probably have way, way more material or like, you know, a history textbook would have more material. So as far as like, oh my gosh, we need someone to like totally guide us because we're so lost. It's not that much stuff. Like it's, it's really just some like the layout of life. And yes, you can go incredibly deep in doctrines and things like that. But at this point, we're getting into like tertiary and, you know, like even beyond. So as far as like the main stuff you need to get beyond the gospel, like the main stuff for like Christian living, how to exist in this world, uh, what the proper context and interpretation is, it is just not numerically that much content. Um, so anyway, people act like it's, it's so confusing. And I think they, they try to like blow it up a little bit to make it sound that way. So like, how can you possibly know? And it's like, guys, the New Testament says, talks about the same issues over and over and over. So one, if, if that was only done one time, that would make the book a, a lot shorter. Um, but it, And then the redundancy is a better way to know you're not messing it up. Like if you read the book, there it is again, you're going to read the same arguments, the same situations, the same application over and over and over. So one, that reduces the amount of content because it's the same issues. And two, it doubles down on the content from different perspectives, saying the exact same thing to safeguard you from messing it up. So at that point, if you further manage to mess it up, you haven't read the whole book or you have your own agenda or you've got hit by a you've got like brain damage or something or you're just steeped in sin and are unwilling to yield to the Bible. And then maybe another example or two someone else can figure out. What? I don't know. Am I, I, I I'm wondering what, what Shri is thinking. Shri is putting reactions on the. So I'm curious. Uh, Shri, feel free to feel free to unmute and speak if you'd like. Feel free to Shri. Hello. Hey, what's up? Ah, oh, hello. Uh, I'm Sri. I'm a Christian. I need your prayers. Uh, that's why only Nate uh, and uh, Steve. Uh, I lost my father. I'm a Christian. I'm a Baptist. I need your prayers. That's why I, nothing will be there. I'm unmarried, searching for a woman today. Uh, marriage, all these things. That's about myself. I will keep you in my prayers. So, uh, your Thank father you. re recently passed, or? Recently passed. And at the same time, you're looking for a wife? Yes, yes. Not at married, searching for a wife. Well, knowing absolutely nothing about you, um, yes, I, I will keep you in prayers. Um, 
I, I would say, I don't know how long it's been or if you've, you know, got over the grieving process or anything like that, but um, perhaps for stability, you may want to take a little time, um, you know, to hang on, to hang off on the wife pursuit until you're sure everything's settled with your father and grieving and family matters and stuff like that. But again, I've never met you before, so that's just some general advice, but yes, uh, please keep shreeing your prayers. I will do this. Yeah, sorry to hear about your father. I should say a prayer for him right now. Uh, if you want to, short and sweet, go ahead. I usually don't in this room, though, because you never know what you're going to get, and I want to be respectful of the person and the room and, uh, you know, not have someone we totally disagree with um, going off the rails. But I think I know you enough that if you'd like to, go ahead. Yeah, no problem. Well, right now, Lord, we just bless Brother Shireen. Right now, we give you praise for the time and the opportunity that you have with each and every one that we all have with our loved ones that we share. Uh, let him know that uh, that time is that his life and his family's life is in your hand. And we bless and we honor him. And all that we do, Lord, we give you thanks and praise for allowing us to just live and to just share in this life. We know that our life is in your hands, Lord, and we praise you. And we know we shall live again in you. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. Bless, brother, and all that he does in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, service. Thank you, amen. Amen, brother. God bless. My condolences. Uh, Rags, what's up, Rags? Or anyone else have anything to say? I, Sorry, I was trying to get that. to the mute button. Oh, oh, I was just trying to get to the mute button. My phone was in my pocket. I do have a topic, and the prayer is actually a good segue um, into what I've been thinking. Um. You know, I've been on Clubhouse, I've been in Discord for the last, you know, few years, well, Clubhouse for the last probably month or two months now, maybe, and then I was in Discord previously, and one thing I've discovered is sometimes the atheists have better, or know the arguments better than we do, you know, and they can even make the arguments, some, not all, but some, and I, I've actually came to a conclusion, I thought, why argue the argument, because they already know it. So it's almost like I always think that it's becoming a point of you're inoculating against it. It's like a, the more you engage the argument, the more you're inoculating against the argument. And one of the things I've been reading is J.P. Moreland's book on, you know, how to have miracles in your life. And actually, the more I thought about it, I was like, why don't we pray for God to work miraculously in, in power? You know, Paul says, I didn't come with persuasive tongue, but in the spirit's power. I don't know if anybody's a sensationist in here, but I think this would be a good topic of conversation because I think ultimately I'm beginning to realize the arguments don't work anymore. You know, not work on a few, but overall and generally, they seem to kind of are losing their power in a sense, so to speak. So just to, I'm, I can, I'm trying to do something right here, but if you guys want to discuss that or what do you guys think about that thought? Uh, well, I, I mean, I agree. Like, I, I mean, I, I don't, count on an argument ever to be to make someone be like oh you're right i'm a christian now um because if it's if it's for an argument you know if you can be argued into something you can be argued out of it just the same and we see that a lot we have empirical examples well hey and if you do it on the same one no we can we, we can test this on the same person one i'm thinking of but we've seen this 
So like people will be argued into Christianity, they'll be argued into atheism, then they'll get argued into Islam. Like for whatever reason, those are the three of people where if you can be argued into something, you can be argued right out of it. So I, I mean, you know, no one comes to God unless the Spirit draws them. I, I believe that. Um, even even Chris, the cessationist, would would say he <laughs> believes that much. Um, so good old Arminian Arminian Chris. But um, good old Calvinist. Anyway, um, but yeah. So at least the goal of my argument is just to show them there's other possibilities. So if people are like, well, this is why your God doesn't work, or this is why the Bible, or what's this problem in the Bible? Like the only point of, of the arg my point of arguments is just to show them like, look, here's a lot of stuff you're not considering, and it's perfectly uh, plausible that things work out this way rather than the bad way you're putting it. So maybe you should just withhold judgment and focus on the gospel. Um, anyway, so... That's that's my my goal or my hope that then they'll be like, OK, well, if I'm if I'm wrong about that or, yeah, that makes sense, that's reasonable. So, OK, I guess I won't be that aggressive uh, in attacking Christianity, at least on that point. Um, and then maybe that'll open the door that, you know, they can be a little more um, sympathetic to the gospel. And at some point they will be drawn and they will answer or be dragged. Chris, there, throw that bone to you. Um, well, yeah, that, I mean, that's a good, good topic, Rags. What do you guys think? Anyone else, Father Chris? It is it is supernatural. People are not convinced. You can't convince anybody into the kingdom, like you just said. It is a supernatural, above the natural, apart from the natural work of God. Yeah, yeah I also have a question with that. You know how it says, uh, if anyone is being sick to go to the church, for the church to lay hands on with the elders, and to pray for healing. I think that's in James chapter 4. Hold on. 5 maybe? I think it's in James 5. The last few verses. Can anybody uh, go over that? And what it means to put on the full armor of God. In uh, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 9 to, to 18. What does that mean? To put on the full armor of God. And what are they, what are they saying when if anyone is sick to go to the church to have them put their hands on, lay hands on them. Could we do the healing one first? Because this is actually a very relevant thing. Uh, sure. I just, yeah. What do you guys think about that? So just elaborating on that. I, uh, my kids went to a, um, a vacation Bible school at a church that I would not go to. It's like very charismatic and they have female pastors and everything. But then I met one of the other women at this church. We had a little play date at the park and this, and this woman was very sweet, but she was talking to me about, a lack of faith. And, and I felt like I didn't tell her anything about me, but she was like, you know, there are just these stiff traditions and, and, you know, uh, we see healings occur in our church all the time and it's amazing. And sometimes it's really good for people to get out of their traditions and go see the spirit work, but you know, blah, 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 this whole thing. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, that just sounds also like a recipe for chaos. But then I started wondering exactly about what services asking about, like, well, aren't we instructed to seek healing? That is not in my church tradition at all. And so now I feel conflicted just about that topic and others. What do you guys think about? Yeah. Matthew chapter 10, verse six, it says this, uh, it says uh, five, go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans. Enter you not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, seeing that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils freely. You have received, freely give. And, and then it says, uh, 
and that's just one. There's a there's a there's a couple other verses. That, that's, what do you guys? Right, that's not even even remotely related to James chapter five. Like, so James chapter five is literally talking about something that should be an ordinance, well, not really an ordinance, but it's it is practiced in the church. My church does it. We have elders that come. Um, to people who cannot come or we have people that can come to the elders uh, and we anoint them with oil it's just a little dab of olive oil on the head and you know they are prayed for and whether or not they recover that's up to God but that's definitely something that's within most reformed traditions and and and, and Steph I think even in a lot of Wesleyan traditions maybe not in some of the churches you've been in but I'm pretty sure that that's still a thing in a lot of Methodist churches as well and I know it's a thing in Baptist churches because I was in Baptist churches. Um, so the the idea of the the elders praying for the sick is definitely a it's definitely a tradition that's been gone on for two thousand years in the church. Oh yeah. Okay. Good. Um. Sorry. That I I think I have never been privy to that. I've never asked for healing, or I've never gone and you know I've never been part of like a group that would pray for healing. Um. So I I believe that I haven't seen it in person. But I think what she was referring to more is like miraculous public, like she was talking about how someone in the church had Parkinson's and had prayed at, you know, the church came together during a service and it sounded like this very public, sudden impromptu thing where the church prayed for him and he was healed in front of them. And so I'm very, I don't want to dismiss accounts like that, but yeah, I just was I like, ah. well, well, I dismiss it. I think it's garbage. Well, so, okay. Yeah. So, so to, to split the difference. I mean, I agree with the per first part of what Chris said about the praying, but it's weird. Like, did I hear that right? Like, you wouldn't even seek healing. So, like, if you break your leg, you're like, this is God's will. Or, like, God, please help my leg. Like, you wouldn't even bother to seek healing, Steph? Or did I mishear that? Oh, no, no, no. I think, so I've never been in the position where, like, I've been sick before. It's never occurred to me because of my church tradition. I've never thought, like, oh, I better go first and ask for healing from the church. It's like, I pray for it myself. My family, we pray for, you know, oh, Peter... My son has this like crazy condition. And so I've never brought him to the church and said, hey, can we lay hands on my son and pray for him? And um, we've prayed in our own home about it. So oh. I felt convicted by that. But then I guess the separate question is she described this radical movement of the spirit with public healings. And then I felt guilty that I've never asked for a radical healing for my son. Does that make Okay. Well, yeah. So somewhere between Chris's, you know, dusty, musty cave frame and Rodney Howard Brown's church. Um, I think is where, <laughs> is where I am. So like, you know, it, it was totally, I, I hope Chris doesn't disagree with this. Like, you know, growing up Pentecostal church, you know, they typically have like, have like sir, like altar time, right? Like after church. So they would specifically be like, okay, here's your message, blah, blah, blah. Now, like, you know, if anyone, uh, if anyone needs a prayer request, if anything's going on, if anyone, you know, is sick or, you know, has a need come to the front and, you know, let's pray for you. And, you know, if people did that, people would go up there. Um, so that's, totally normal um perfect in my perfect. mind it, perfectly fine perfect. i've had, oh, okay. had services in the baptist church like that it's, it's not unusual. yes yeah. so i would say that's totally fine so like yeah go seek public or go seek like healing in a public church service or whatever and then hey i mean if you know someone rolls up in a wheelchair and uh they start dancing around well <laughs> i mean you know if you if you know them if it's like your your child that's been lame from birth then you know sweet you got your miracle but um, you know, usually it's not that drastic. But yeah, it's totally fine to like have prayers in church services for healings or any other prayer requests. Luke chapter um, can I can I go one more? Luke chapter twenty four forty nine. What does it mean to be endowed with power? 
this is where it, I've looked at, I've looked through the scriptures and I'm studying. I don't fully understand these things. And Luke 24, 49, it says, and behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry you in the city of Jerusalem until you be endowed or endued with power from on high. There was another passage where it says, where uh, Christ was like, until I go, uh, you, will, you will take on the power. What do you guys think power? What does it mean without power? This is, a, this is a transitional phase for the apostles, specifically. This does not mean, like, we have... So, the, so, look, gifts of healing are given to the church. It's not that I get endowed with the power of healing, and then I can heal at will like an apostle. No one believes that. That's not what um, I asked. I was just what, asking, what does power yeah, mean? Right. So power, in our context, is God's healing power specifically and i think that 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 is kind of self-evident what that means but again like what people will do is they and i'm not saying you're doing this dave i'm just saying what people will do is they will take things completely out of context and then apply them to them today like for instance like casting out of demons and these kind of things like there's no new testament instructions on how, how to cast out demons there's a reason for that. It was because it was considered a sign and a wonder that was performed only by the apostles or the close associates of the apostles to establish apostolic authority in the first century. Um, you don't see credible, um, you know, instances of casting out of demons ever again after that. Like, it just doesn't appear. Um, there's all kinds of stories and things, but, you know, these types of things and these types of what I would say is Nate has a really good middle ground there and that Steph should not feel bad because she didn't bring her son for some like healing service. And I think we should let Brad talk about healing services. I was just Brad about to say that. I just Please, had one because more I'm, I'm, I Wait, no, let Brad. Not. He's been trying Dave, to get him. Dave, hold up. Let's, let, let's really hear from Brad on this. Okay, I so... To, oh, apologize. Okay, so if I can take the stage for a minute, because, like, I, I've been confronted with this, not directly, but, but uh, and, and the reason why I haven't been directly uh, confronted with it is because the Lord has given me the truth on, on and, and not like in some angle, but the Lord has taught me about, you know, how to the healing in context of, of the way it's written in the Word. And Chris, you have it right, but I would go a little bit further as to, you know, it's given to the church in the grace endowments. The power that service was talking about is the power of grace that works in our life, right? So, so it's a, it's a grace endowment to the church. Like, like I went, um, you guys was talking about going up front to get healed and all that kind of stuff. When I, uh, when I, um, got saved, I started working at Walmart, and I got pink eye in both eyes, and I'd never had it before, so I didn't know what it was, and it got really bad, like it blurred my sight and everything else. Well, I finally went to the doctor, and she gave me an antibiotic, and I took one pill, and my stepdad called me, because we, we was going to the church at the time, and he had called me, and he said, why don't you come get prayed for, and I was like, oh, great. 
So let's go get prayed for. And at first I was like, I, I didn't know what James 5.16 was. No, I, I think it's James 5.16 where you come to the elders and you get healed or something like that. I, I didn't know. like I hadn't read that far yet. And so I went to the church and I had pink eye. I went to the pastor and I said, look, I got pink eye. And I said, if you want to pray for me to be, you know, to be healed or strengthened, whatever you want to do, that's fine. But I'm highly contagious. So after you do this, I'm probably going to leave. Well, he prayed for me, and uh, him and the, the elders of the church, they all stood around me and prayed for me. And by the end of the day, the pink eye was gone, like completely gone, like there was no evidence that I had it. And so I went to work the next week, and they told me that I was supposed to take a week off so, so that it would heal, so that I could take the, the antibiotic and stuff. And uh, so I took that one pill... And I got healed and I went back to work the, ne the next time my shift started. And so, but does that mean that I believed like there should be a healing campaign? Because we, we talked about that. I talked about that to the, to the associate pastor. Because him and I would talk about healing and, and uh, I have cerebral palsy. I was born with it because I was born two months premature. And so he said, if God wanted to heal you, would you take it? And I said, well, sure. He goes, well, do, well, do you think do you think you'll be healed? I said, no. And he goes, why not? And I said, because in my weakness, like in in my weakness of having cerebral palsy, it's like that. It's like that scripture of Paul having the thorn in the flesh, right? It allows God's grace to work in my life because, because that's what like cerebral palsy is. In the, in the Bible, it's called the spirit of infirmity. If, if you look at that, it, that means weakness. So, so what that means is that because I have cerebral palsy, I can go to God in great faith that even though I have cerebral palsy, he can still use me. And and because I because I had developed this mindset, I'd been in churches that that you know would bring people up, want to heal for them, and you know want to heal them and stuff like that. But they never pulled me up front to do that because I have the truth of you know whether God heals me from cerebral palsy or not, I'm still a believer. It doesn't stop God from using me because the power that that God's talking about that Jesus is talking about right there is the power of the Holy Spirit and the working of grace in our lives to be conformed to His image, right? Because we're called to, to walk in humility towards God at all times. Now, are we perfect at that? No. No, I mean, I mean, you know, there there was a time in my life when, when, when this was happening that I was like, hey, man, God's got it. I don't have to worry about it. When all, in all actuality, you know, I, I shouldn't have acted that way. You know what I mean? I should have been like, you know, and I've seen other people get healed. My mom, she actually broke her finger one time and the Holy Spirit unctioned me to go pray for her. And I was like, at first I argued with God because I was like, God, I'm, I don't want to go pray for her. And he's like, no, go do it. So I finally submitted to it and I grabbed her finger after she broke it. I grabbed it and I said, mom, I'm going to pray. And as soon as I started praying, that bone went back into place like like it was never broke. And I looked at her and I said, did you feel that? She said, yeah. And I was like, man, that is so cool. <laughs> so does God heal? Yeah, he heals. But it's not like it's not like in the days of the apostles. Like like Chris said, a lot of that was was um, 
the way Jesus did it, he the reason why he did it was to confirm that he was the coming Messiah of of the the prophets. He was the one that they were looking for, and, and that's that's one of the reasons why he did it was to confirm everything that was written that he was the one that they were looking for. Now, does healing still happen? Yes, but but now it's a work of grace. It's a grace endowment, and it doesn't it doesn't work the same way as it did when when Jesus and the apostles walked the earth. It can, but it doesn't. Yeah, that's really interesting. And one thing I wanted to say on that, like my my mom yeah, is I blind, but she developed her blindness. Um, like it's a, it was a degenerative retina condition. So she had vision as a kid and then as a teenager, it started to deteriorate and she went to a Christian college, uh, sort of by a fluke and got saved there. And so this was at the height of her losing her vision and she was praying and praying and praying and had friends pray for her. And you know, the whole story of like praying for healing. And she said at some point in her early twenties after college, she just was like, yeah, I'm done praying for healing. Like the answer is no. Um, and so I guess I've always grown up with her testimony, like, but I wonder if I just assume the answer is going to be no, like Brad, you're, what you're describing is like, you believe in this gift of healing. And so you'll pursue these avenues of like healing your mom's finger or experiencing healing with pink eye. But then you don't go up to every healing service asked to be healed of cerebral palsy because it's a different function. So right. I guess that's what I'm trying to parse out. Like, I think that's really interesting. Right. Can I make right. a comment? Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, one thing I when I was reading J.P. Moreland's book is I think there's a, a bit of humility that has to occur in the process of seeking healing. It's like it's a, it's a he kind of describes it as a silent surrender kind of thing. Like, God, it's up to you. Do, do it as you will. You know, not. But at the same time, there's an expectation. You know, I mean, like I think like the Pentecostal side is like every time we need to be healed. You know, and then the other side is. No, healing never happens, but there's a humility in trusting. It's a hum like I was thinking that passage we were quoting James is the prayer offered in faith right. will heal you, right? So it's not a, um, like God could be using cerebral palsy for his glory. Like, uh, Corey, or was it, um, what's her name that was paralyzed from the, the quadriplegic? I think she just died several years ago. You know, God used her through her quadriplegic thing for the ministry of using that but at the same time god can heal like i was thinking my wife's mom she's been battling breast cancer and they were thinking about uh, removing both of her breasts they potentially won and we just got people praying around us and we and our our little family prayed and right now the the cancer is pretty much gone now was it the medication was it the prayer maybe it's a little of both but do we do we just trust? I think that's the thing. Do we look willing to let God trust and work however he chooses to work, but expectation that he will work in it, but not in an arrogant way. You know what right. I mean? You understand that balance? Right. There was a there was a short time in my in my twenties, like I think for about I had really prayed to God about I wanted to be healed. I wanted to be like you know, I, I call it like everybody else. That, that's where I, everybody will, everybody that I've talked to that when I say that, they're like, but we all have disabilities. And I'm like, no, you're shortchanging my thought here. Just, just listen to my thought. Like, cause see, I, I have a twin brother and we're both, we both have cerebral palsy. My brother can't walk or anything like that. So, but I wasn't around other, other people. Cause like I went to like mainstream, like I was in the mainstream in school. I've had jobs, you know, and stuff like that. I struggled really hard with it, but I also, 
did it in in the midst of having that. And I would go to God sometimes and I'm like, God, if you just let me be like other people for like five minutes, you know, just just let me experience it for five minutes. Then then, you know, maybe maybe I can understand why why you did this. But but, you know, and even when I was a kid before before I became a believer, I used to pray to God and ask him, are you mad at me or something? Is that why I'm different? Everybody else is still the same. Or what? And uh, I didn't realize, you know, until I became a believer and I read the part about uh, Paul and the thorn in his flesh, where he talks about my grace is sufficient in your weakness. It wasn't until I read that that it started to make sense to me. And I was like, wait a minute. I was like, I'm looking at this wrong. And instead of being like kind of upset about having cerebral palsy and life just being hard. Maybe I, sh- I should just look at it as it's a means of grace and allow God to use it as like a platform, you know, and, and that was basically what he told me. Just just let me use it, you know, for like you said, for his glory and stuff. And, and I've been able to to, you know, through God's grace, I've been able to to do a lot more things as a, as a believer than I ever could as an unbeliever, if that makes sense. I've preached the gospel. I've I've done all kinds of things. I've met all kinds of people. I've been able to share the gospel with countless people, and and just in everyday life, like like I've I've preached in churches and stuff, but I'm not a pastor or anything like that. So what it does is it affords me an opportunity to like hang out with people just in everyday life, and just you know share the gospel with them or whatever, and be like, yeah, I get it. You know what I mean? And and like you said, there's a certain level of humility and, and there's times where because like I, sometimes I'll struggle with anger because like stuff do, doesn't make sense to me. Like, why? Why is it going on like that? But then when I slow down and I just I just hand it over to God in my thoughts, I'm like, OK, well, it don't make sense. But God, God understands so I'm just going to leave it to him. And then when I do that, it's like the Holy Spirit will reveal it to me. Okay, this was the this was the reason why. Like, I don't know why I went to the Pentecostal church and that pastor prayed for me and I got healed for, from pink eye, but I didn't get healed from cerebral palsy. I don't know how that works, but God understands it. So, so you know, and, and like some people, like, like you were saying, uh, your mother-in-law, I think it was, she had, she has breast cancer and they only took one instead of both of them. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know why God does that stuff. You know what I mean? But at least, you know, you can definitely see him working in the midst. And, and so my brother, um, he struggles with it sometimes, I, you know, and, and stuff. And, and you can see it rob him of, of the hope and the joy that God gives us. And I finally had to just come to the realization that, that you know, whether it, whether it happens here or, or happens when I die, I just got to rest in it. I have one more well, question a- real quick. Do, do you guys, Brad, and anybody else, do you think that not asking for public healing is a lack of faith? Nope. Nope. I don't Thank because, you. yeah. You know what? God leads us in the way he needs us. And that's exactly what all of our affirmities here on this world, like Brad was talking about, Paul had a thorn in his side. He prayed to God to take that thorn, that pain from him. But God said, no, this is your humbling in order so you keep coming to me. Can I, can I just read a scripture real quick, guys? Please. 
I just wanted to read Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in G- in Christ Jesus. Amen. I'd like to see if everyone, since she came to the stage, had anything to say about this real quick. What's up, everyone? Hi. Are you speaking? Hi. What's up, everyone? Yeah. Yeah. Did you have anything to say about this, or were you just hanging out? Um, yeah, I actually have a question um about healing um sorry for my english i'm from asia um do you think uh in christianity do do you think uh, is it possible that uh um demon could uh do false miracles such healings uh depending what we're talking about uh yes so does that mean I mean, you know, we're told like um, in the end times with Revelation with the Antichrist, there will be miracles. I mean, it doesn't say specific healing other, other than he's supposed to be dead and come back to life. But generally, um, I would just say yes. I, I think certain signs and wonders could be done by malevolent entities. What do you think about that, Chris? Is that... Where's Chris still here? He's here. I just saw he was unmuted. Anyway, Evelyn, yeah. Uh, so I, I think it's possible. How often does it happen? How likely is it? I don't know. But yeah, I think people can be tricked. People can be deceived. And so if we're we're, we're talking about like, I, I don't know. I will just say signs and wonders. So I, I, I don't know of anyone saying they've like been healed and it wasn't God. Um, I, I mean, I don't know why why some malevolent spiritual entity would want to do something good for someone other than maybe to like deceive them in some false religion or belief system. I don't know. But I think it's plausible. Well, can I can I speak to that? I think there's an intention, behind, like the context kind of is critical, you know. And ultimately, even the false prophets could do. It says the false prophet could do miracles, but it would be are they leading to leading you to God or away from God? Ultimately, you know, if you're if you're praying to Yahweh, God, Jesus, in the sense of honestly in faith reaching out to Him, and I mean, why would a demon come in and kill you in that circumstance because that would just give credence to God and build your faith towards him. But if most miracles I think are designed to pull you away, not keep you in faith towards Christ. So I think that's a good kind of a barometer, I would think. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. Because there are like um, other religions besides Christians, uh, like Muslims or like other pagans religions, they actually, uh, could do like healings or casting out demons from people who got possessed. Um, yeah. And those kind of things. So I just like, uh, usually whenever like Muslims will talk about, what was that Steph? Sorry. Hang on. Um, usually when Muslims will talk about like, cause we'll talk about like spiritual experiences, not necessarily miracles or healings, but they'll say, Oh, that's what you think. Well, that's what happened to me. I have these spiritual experiences. And I'll be like, well, yeah, if you're having a spiritual experience or whatever, and it's not the God of the Bible, then I don't deny that you're having these experiences. I just think it's a demon. So I would just extend that and say, yeah, if someone is is getting a healing under the Christian you know, view, 
if they're getting healed or whatever, or miracles in other faiths or other religions that's not Jesus, um, then yeah, I would say that's demons or smoke and mirrors like, you know, human tricks. Um, but yeah, so either human deception or demons. What was it, Steph, or who was trying oh, just to speak? Real quick, I think it's Steph. I, Chris, Chris just left, but he makes the, I have never looked up what blaspheming of the Holy Spirit is because I have OCD tendencies and then my brain will stick on that and I will suffer. But one argument that Chris has made is that you can't really do this anymore because it was like in the early church, miracles and healings would be occurring. And then the Pharisees would come along and say, this wasn't the Holy Spirit. This was the work of Satan. And Chris argues that that's what blaspheming of the Holy Spirit is. So I guess I'm wondering, like, I don't want to go off on a totally different track, but I get a little nervous. Like, okay, if we start attributing miracles to other entities that are not God, then are we crossing into some very sinister territory? Sorry, service. One second. Um, that's a great point, Steph. Maybe for different reasons. But I mean, so if you take Chris's approach that it is impossible to blaspheme the Holy Spirit because you had to be, you had to have Jesus himself and flesh and blood doing miracles right in front of you and saying that was Satan. So if you take that kind of hard line approach, it is impossible. But if you just look up what blasphemy is, it means speak derogatorily or negative of. So like if, if someone says, uh, yeah, so like if it's not Jesus, right, because I mean, if it's not Jesus, I feel very fine in saying, well, you know, that was done, like if they're praying to Baal or praying to, you know, some someone other than like Jesus for their healing, then I feel pretty comfortable saying if that indeed is a legit miracle, not because of like human deception or magic show or something like that, then yeah, it has to be demons. Um, and that, I, I don't feel that would be anywhere near blasphemy the Holy Spirit because look who they're praying to. If they're praying for the power of the occult or through the power of like some other, you know, mystical force, well, the Holy Spirit, I seriously doubt, is going to answer a prayer for some other person, um, unless, you know, they have like a vision of Christ and how, you know, that's the true God. But whenever people start talking about like talking in tongues and like glossing lately and like making fun of that, like this is like err on the side of caution, right? Like I grew up in, in Pentecostal church where, you know, I have I have what I believe is, you know, my interpretation, right? Like glossing lately, like not a legit other tongue. I think that should be that's fine. And that should be done between you and God in your own, own prayer time. But if you're going to like give messages in tongues and other, uh, you know, it should be in like a language for a sign and miracle that, hey, miracles still happen. But when other people will do like this glossal language, it's not a known language and they will give it like a service. I think, OK, well, my reading of the Bible says they should just do that between themselves. But their interpretation is this is fine as long as there is an quote interpreter. So they'll do this and they'll sit quietly, which I mean, this happened 20 years. It's not that I just go to non-denominational churches now. But if anyone does that, then it's like, well, if they do that and then someone will say something like it, quote, interpret it, which is just like a positive message for the church, or, you know, get ready. The end is coming or, you know, um, it's like a call back to, to biblical stuff. So it's not heretical or anything like that. But where some people would like scoff and make fun and be like, should have bought a Kia, but I bought a Honda. I'm like, ah, you know, I don't feel great about that. Cause you know, even if they, they think that these people are wrong um, and, and misinterpreting the Bible in the chance that, you know, God is honoring this and they are doing something right. And the Holy spirit is like even quasi adjacent around in that moment. I don't want to like tiptoe on that. So it's like, you know, look, I think, I think that's not how I interpret the Bible. If that's how you do, and, you know, you're following it the best you can. I can say I think that's not biblically correct, but I could be wrong. So in the interest of that, like, I don't want to be one of the people, like, you know, kind of 
mocking that stuff. Um, anyways. Can I say something? But that's um, why, yeah. Steph. <laughs> that's why I was trying to uh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, I, I would apply. I, I would say I would apply the principle of faith in this kind of call it. That. That's what I call it, the principle of faith. I mean, like I've shared my my father, my mother-in-law's healing of her breast cancer and automatically they had, oh, that, you know, that's just a coincidence or like or whatever. I think there's sense that how can if you're if you don't live in faith, how can you be forgiven or not living in faith be forgiven? So if you attribute to some other thing like natural causes or demonic or whatever, how can that be? How can your whatever be forgiven? It can't be. But if you say in faith, I believe that God did this in the scenario, then I think there's an element that you're not blasting the Holy Spirit because you're actually acknowledging that he worked in that scenario. Does that make sense? So I think there's a, I'm not a hardliner because I don't know exactly what blasting the Holy Spirit is, but if I apply the principle of faith to it, if you attribute, something that God did or the Holy Spirit did to something else, how can that, how can you be forgiven for that? <laughs> you know, how can you? So that's, I guess okay, that's what I would there was, there was Steph Ola service and Coletta, and then we're going to talk about why Chris isn't a real Christian. Uh, Steph Ola service, James. Steph. Oh, I wanted to talk about Hitler. Steph. <laughs> all right, we'll get to you too, D. I just said thank you for your explanation earlier, Nate. That's all. Go to all right, Ola. Hola, hola. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Nate, uh, also thanks for your explanation. But the, the only thing there is that um, wouldn't it be, uh, what if there's a case where um, a, um, a non-believer or, uh, uh, or an atheist just uh, says a claim, let's say their mom is dying of, uh, of blood loss, something like that, and they're there uh, beside their mom and they just said, oh, if there's a God, please save my mom. And maybe their mom gets saved. Would you say that that is, since they didn't ask through Jesus, would you say that is demonic? Or what would what would you say in that case? Yeah. I mean, wouldn't need an actual example um, that someone claims happened to, to be able to think about it. I have, but, I've but heard general, that, that but, example, but not the well, mo- but Yeah, carry on. Yeah, I mean, like I would want to generally like talk to the person, and be like, tell me everything you know, because it's just my my kind of feeling that you know it's like the guy that wrote the book like seeking Allah finding finding Jesus because he wanted to be a really good Muslim. Well, in his in his searches yeah so in his searches Jesus actually shows up to him in a vision and so turns out he's like oh Jesus is the answer so if you're like oh please gods or if there's someone up there heal me um I I can't imagine I I, I just can't imagine that you know the Jesus of the Bible would have a hand in healing that person and not give them some inclination that it was that guy who did it. Otherwise, I mean, that would be like, that would be like very much driving them away from any faith. If they're like, please by the gods of Thor, or all of you all just <laughs> heal my mother. And then something happened and it wasn't attributed to Jesus. I, I, I can't see that happening. I think yeah, most of the cases yeah, I've heard about, <laughs> I, I've heard most of the cases I, I've heard about is something like, you know, calling and appealing to the name of Jesus. And then they receive their healing. And then they're like, oh my gosh, this is the one true God. Um, go ahead. Okay, yeah, I just want to say, say that, that, in that in that story, the actual story I heard, and it's a story I heard, so it could be totally rubbish and could totally be true at the end of the day. Yeah, so it, it's uh, the um, the person is a believing Christian now, 
Yeah, but that was the trigger point. It, it didn't really come instantaneously like, oh, wow, Jesus, thanks for saving my mom. Or it wasn't even a mom at the case. I think it was his daughter. Yeah, but he, uh, at the end of the day, he now ended up being a Christian because of that act. That act made him to believe that there's something more uh, spiritual in this life than just the physical and uh, just logic. There was something outside logic that helped him and started his his uh, his race towards finding out what that is and found Jesus at the end of the day. Yeah, so that's something. Then if something like that somehow happened, I would just say, great, and preach Jesus. And if they're like, well, it could have been this. I'm like, wonderful. I think it was Jesus. Well, it could have been this. I'm like, great. Have you heard of Jesus? So I would just, <laughs> I would just preach Jesus. All right, service, you're next. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to read a couple couple verses, and, and this is going towards the topic here. Uh, if this is Acts 1, verse uh, 8. It says, uh, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall receive witnesses upon me in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, this is very important that we see in context, and this is for whoever wants to really look at this. Look in context what power means right here in verse 8, Acts 1, verse 8. And I'm going to move to the next one. Acts 2, verse 17, it says this. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams and on my servants and and on my maid on, on my handmaids. I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. Now, these are, again, going into the next couple of verses that I have. This is first. We're getting a little off the topic service, but if you can, yeah, try to hurry because we're moving. Go ahead, topic. bro. Peace. Go ahead. Peace. Well, no, I want to allow you to finish, but just know that we're kind of getting off the topic. But I, go ahead and give us your verses. Oh, he left. Well, yeah, I would just say, like, there's a couple things that he said there. Like in Acts, the context, right? Like, the, I mean, this is a time for Bob to make his context case because that was the context. In Acts, he's talking to the people who's talking. he's talking to, that group right there. And then he, so I would say, that's the people. If you're one of those people and you still live, then you should probably make a case and do that stuff. But since we're not, um, then he, he jumped to, is he gone out of the room completely? That's too bad. Man, I was trying to let him finish. Anyway, but then he moves to the sons and daughters in the last days, which, yeah, I, fine. But uh, he's trying to talk about power and apparently like at will healing or whatever. But even by the verses he uses, that was about dreams and prophecies. So none of that said in the last days you will, you know, be given power to do miraculous healings. I mean, I still believe in miraculous healings, but that's not what the verses he read said. So I, I would just say that. Anyway, uh, Coletta, you were next, and then D. Thank you very much, Nate. Appreciate it. So uh, I've got kind of two topics I'd like to talk about. The uh, uh, principle of faith, and then um, was it Ola talked about a non-believer asking for a God, God to heal their uh, family member with the loss of blood. So my question is, first we'll focus on the healing. So this person who asked to for God to uh, save their mother or their family member from the loss of blood episode, uh, what was the process besides just asking God to heal? Um, a lot of crying and just uh, just shouting things out in the air. Yes, so, sir. So no, no, no medical intervention at all. Just like crying um, this and was, praying and 
Uh, I think this was the it was in a medical setting and they've done everything they could do and they've just the like the person was supposed to just die off and they've were praying and praying and no not praying just crying out yeah and um the what the doctors said that would happen didn't happen yeah that's the thing it's went counter uh the normal route yeah so the doctor said there's no way to add more blood to this person. No, tr no blood transfusions can be given. In this, okay, this uh, hold on. Remember uh, when I first said the first story was I was saying something hypothetically. Then I think Nate said he would want a real example, and the real example was a man and his daughter. Yes, and his daughter was having a long illness. And okay. Yeah. So it's something that he was just like, oh, if there's a god, and he was crying. That's what I meant now. And the doctors didn't even understand why she is getting healed. Yeah, and she just got healed. And it's over a long time. It's not like, oh, a click of a finger and Oh, it, boom. it took a... Yeah. So the daughter, the daughter got healed over a long period of time? Yes. Oh, okay, cool. That's great. I'm happy for that. Awesome. I, I don't see the correlation of God doing it. All right, so why don't... Can I tell mine and then and, you can ask me? Hang on, hang on. Hang on. May I finish, please? So, oh, he's gone. Anyway, I was going to ask... Uh, um, uh, rags to riches about the, the principle of faith. Can the principle of faith be verified? Uh, not in a way that would make you happy. I mean, even as a believer who believes in faith, not in a way that would make me happy because oh, okay. there's too many variables. Awesome. Great. So, I mean, it could be so coincidence, it could be environmental. But uh, Coletta, you missed, I guess we're about to hear, some, hear something from D. But I mean, uh, you missed when Brad was talking about how, you know, he apparently firsthand, you know, was praying for someone and their broken finger instantly healed and was no longer broken. And he was, uh, you know, he, he says he was healed from pink eye um, miraculously in, in like a day. Anyway, so don't know if no, you want I to revisit hear, that I at some point. That. I did hear that. Okay. I, uh, I, I answered questions. Oh, okay. Text, so yeah. Uh, D go ahead. D. Okay. So this was something that I uh, struggled with too. Um, so I had a, uh, my son who actually eventually passed he had special needs, and um, I don't even think I took the the time to go through the process of getting someone to pray for him. I just eventually just accept, even though I wanted it to change, I just accepted it for what it was. I don't even think I wanted to even try because I was, like, kind of fearful that it wouldn't work, and then how would that affect my faith? Um, but he passed, and then um, – this is not the story I'm going to tell. That could be for another day. But this whole situation happened that brought me closer to Christ in the time that he passed occurred. All right, moving forward. With that experience, it strengthened my faith in Christ, which was already there. And so um, I worked I worked at a, um, at a restaurant. And it's, I don't know if anybody ever has, but it was nonstop screaming all day. And I never experienced that till I lost my voice completely. Like, could um, be talking on the phone and would lose breath to where I couldn't breathe anymore. But if I was just running or walking or anything like that, I never had an issue. It only happened when um, I spoke. And what ended up happening was two, like, lip noise on my vocal cords. So I um, <clears throat> eventually had to go to the doctor because – I don't know if anybody knows, but I am very much so a talker. Um, so went to the doctor. The doctor um, did whatever they had to do. It was an ENT, and he looked at my throat and saw that he saw the lip noise. He showed me what happened, and he said that in order for 
the lymph nodes to be removed. We're going to have to do a surgery, and then moving forward, you're going to have to take pills for the rest of your life. Like, there's no possible way that you're not going to be able to take pills. So with that being said, I'm not even a habitual person. Like, I don't even like taking vitamins. So I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be crazy. So I had to set up time for the surgery, which I didn't do initially but I because I had to take the medicine first or something like that. So they sent out the prescription. Um, I um, took one pill, and then, um, like, maybe, like, that Wednesday during um, the week, you know, I'm frustrated. I go to... Um, just some random church that I really don't go, but I stop in every once in a while. And in that moment, they were discussing healing. And so the guy was talking about, this is what you do, a company with some Bible verses. I can't tell you what the Bible verses are because I didn't look into it, but just listening to him, this is what you do, a company with some Bible verses, and then you have to act it out and you have to do this. So this guy used to be a football player for the Atlanta Falcons and he said he had a knee injury and he went through the process of believing that it was healed and going through that and acting as if it was healed prior to it being healed so I was like okay well let me see if this works so I did the same thing with my voice like again this is a voice that I didn't have so I just started singing like left the church and started singing and started just talking more and believing it and just calling on the name of Christ and to this day one pill that's it, and my voice is completely back. And for me to lose my voice and never be able to talk again was the most, like, worst thing that could probably happen to me in, in essence of my personal being. So I what I believe is that healing is available, but it's in God's will. Like, if God if – it's, if it's his will – then it's his will. If we, if if it's our his will to not heal us, then it's just his will. It's just whatever is aligned in his will. And I accept that on both aspects, that everything is not going to be meant to be healed and everything, and there are some things that will be meant to be healed. And maybe my voice is supposed to be used for the message of extending the kingdom. And so that's why, um, that's how I was able to factor it. But on the other side, I had a son who had special needs, couldn't walk, couldn't talk, um, I was able to communicate with him, but he didn't live his best life. So I can see both aspects. I just wanted to share that with you guys. Well, thanks for that, D. Uh, what's up, David? Well, uh, we had mentioned earlier that even Christ was accused of using demonic powers to heal. And he put it like this, a house divided cannot against itself cannot stand. So like, why would Satan do great works of miracles of healing, right? Um, and just like D was saying, like like this football guy was saying, like imagining the result that you want, that's that's a prayer that's been captured in the science as effective, like in dose dependent, like medicine even. So you can see prayer once we really understand it is a, is a a kind of medicine, and uh, it's again it's one of the trees of life is prayer. It heals for the healing of the nation. So. Uh, if we program for that, if we if we each one says that prayer, we're going to have a great result uh, when we apply those principles according to the Bible. So I'm I'm looking forward to um, the uh, God wiping away every tear. And the other thing I'd say, like uh, the football guy and these guys in the Bingston study, they might not necessarily be believers. Like Bingston trained skeptical non-believers. That doesn't mean that's not Christ, the Spirit of God moving through these people who don't even know Christ yet. You know, it's it's like. Uh, Again, a house divided against itself cannot stand. All this healing comes from God. And it's God's trying to reveal the mechanisms of healing to us so that we can apply them. 
according to his wisdom. Uh, well, Steph, you have any final thoughts? I'm going to have to run, and I'm not even going to ask. I'm just going to assume you also have to run. Oh, you bet you. Yeah. If it had something to say. Yeah, David. Um, I love what you said. Because uh, I've also heard, like, the churches, they're like hospitals. And when he said prayers like medicine, I was like, oh, that completes that. <laughs> that thought. That the churches are ho- the, is a hospital. And the prayers are like medicine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, also, I'd like to share a story. Like, because Dee, you know, she brought up her the special needs child and being healed by Jesus. And that's also happened to me. I live by the Houston area. There's a group uh, that goes out and prays for the sick. And uh, well, I contacted them and the leader of the group and they came to my house years ago and, and they prayed for my son and and he got, he didn't get completely healed, but he got, healed for the most part because um I was really worried about him uh starting school uh because he would bang his head on the wall he would uh fidget a lot with his hands every noise bothered him uh they prayed for him they came like three times in total and uh the first time they prayed for him he became verbal And then the second time they came, he stopped fidgeting with his hands. Like the noises uh, around him uh, would really bother him to the point where he would uh, walk around with his finger inside his ears. Uh, But now he, he still does it sometimes, but now it doesn't bother him as much. It's more like a nuisance and it's for good reason. It has to be that the noise is so loud that he does that. So, yeah, but before the prayer, uh, it it was everything. Your voice bothered him. The lights bothered him. Uh, so even, even visually, you know, things bothered him. So uh, this that was the second prayer. And the third prayer that they did the third time that they came, Uh, he became more verbal. So I believe a lot in prayer because of that. Uh, and I'm also, uh, my son, uh, he's been going to school without a problem. Uh, my worries, my, uh, were gone, uh, due to my, uh, I guess very wise decision in contacting someone to pray for. Uh, not to uh, say <clears throat> that it is uh, not a, a bad decision to do so, but I, I just so happen to like, uh, I guess spirit led, I guess you have to be spirit led for that. I don't know. But uh, my, my, uh, uh, he's right now, he's in middle school, he's in sixth grade and he's in his, in the life skills program. So he wouldn't continue being in the autistic program, uh, but he was able to de- develop and and um, they consider him now like Asperger's instead of autistic. And and also he got an honor rolls. He's uh, the smart uh, the smartest kid in his life skills class. <laughs> so because he's very verbal, he's very social, he's very. So, I mean, prayer does really work. It really does. Also, my husband, because uh, he got so moved by it, 
he also studied uh, a little bit one time on online, you know, on on faith healing, and uh, he applied it to my son because uh, he used to uh, poop on himself, and now and that one prayer that he did that one time, my husband had faith for for him to stop pooping on himself. Um, healed him so by Jesus so yeah uh, I mean I'm so for healing a lot definitely I just like to share that that's it well I appreciate that thank you and I uh, yeah I have to go <laughs> baptize in chat and uh, says real quick uh, where'd we go what miracle did Jesus do that technology can't and I put save people from hell and uh, resurrection then he says um you know, today's doctors come an operating table can put someone to death and bring them back to life. Uh, not after three days. That's a bit of a stretch. And then if Jesus is God, why didn't he do any super duper miracle like make a rock so big he can't pick it up? Well, baptized, that still stands. He's being patient with you, allowing you time to repent. So that's a pretty big miracle. Um, and let's see, would it be a miracle when a doctor gives a heart transplant? No. Like the definition of a miracle. I mean, I actually am not looking this up, but I, I would assume it has to do something that cannot be explained by natural measures. The whole idea of a heart transplant in medical science is to do stuff by natural measures. So, so no, it would be science and technology, and you would say the mod the miracle of modern medicine. But it's not really a miracle in an unexplicable sense. So, no, heart transplant, pretty cool, but there's an understanding of a, a will and a way to do that. Anyways, everyone, take care. Have an awesome Monday. See you all later.